Happy Tuesday. Welcome to the program. We are underway on another day of Pandemic Radio. We've got Pinder. My name is Pat Steinberg. Gentlemen, how are we doing on a Tuesday afternoon? Is Pat there? Did we lose Pat? Am I even here? What's going on? Well, we finally got Ryan, and now it sounds as though we've lost Pat. I'm here. No, we have Pat now. I'm, I'm good now. Uh, I'm gonna work through uh, work through this segment, and then next seg- next commercial break, I'm gonna do the old hard or one of the next times we have an opportunity, gonna do the old hard set on the router here. Um, but yeah, gentlemen, it's uh, it's a uh, it's another weird day in the world of sports, another weird day uh, in the world. Period. But I guess before we get into uh, before we get into some of the fun stuff that we like to talk about to kick off the program, Rye, we we. I don't know if we're surprised by this. Uh, Dick Pound was on our airwaves yesterday uh, talking about how, you know, we're going to be probably postponing the Olympics and and the IOC hadn't come right out and said it. But today, uh, right from the mouth of the prime minister in Japan, the Olympics look like they're going to be postponed and looks like that's going to be 2021 is when we're looking at this. So instead of Olympics every two years, it'll be a three-year break and then back-to-back Olympics if that works. It just, you know, you you wanted a bit of a rant on this last week and, and you were bang on about the, you know, the overall corruption of the IOC and and how of course they were going to try to make this happen as um, as much as they possibly could but there's there's no way it doesn't matter how money hungry your organization is there's no way you can hold an Olympics in the current situation that we are living in right now they had no choice but to postpone the Olympics I don't think we have Ryan anymore. No, we don't have Ryan. That's a flying start to the program. Um, but, Logo, if you want to jump in on that, unless you're yeah. too busy uh, working to reconnect Ryan, which you very well might be. But, I mean, they, they had no choice but to postpone the Olympics. I don't know how they thought that this was ever going to work. I think we got Pinder back. I can hear him in the background. But Sorry, they, they, they had no choice but to, to cancel, not cancel, but to postpone the Olympics. That was the only, that was the only choice that was truly on the table here. Yeah, it's almost not even news today, Patty, because we knew this was where it was going to be. How in the world could you bring people from all around the world, including nations in the thick of you know massive crises, to the most densely populated city on Earth, the largest collection of humans in the middle of a pandemic? It was obviously not going to go down. We talked with Elliot yesterday, and he had made reference to the fact that the Olympics were most likely not going to happen this summer, but next, and what that allows Uh, some of the North American leagues in terms of a window for sports this summer, should we be in a healthier place Mm -hmm. with uh, COVID-19? So it's exactly what we expected. And when Dick Pound's coming out talking about things openly, we know that that's the way it's going to go. If if anyone's well-versed in IOC lingo and IOC, I guess, indications with sort of what they're up to or reading tea leaves of the IOC, it would be he who, you know, used to run WADA, ran for president and has been involved with the IOC for decades, I'd think, at this point. So no surprise there. Um, I guess the other news we got is that 
yesterday the CHLs canceled all the playoffs and the Memorial Cup, which is no surprise. So uh, I guess really what are we looking at that hasn't been canceled? We've postponed the starts of our spring starting leagues like the CPL, Major League Baseball. We await word from the CFL who still have more wiggle room. But keep in mind where all these players are going to be coming from, it's going to be what could be a much more uh, infected uh, population base in the U.S., uh, including a lot of the southern states, which are having a tough go right now, or at least some of the hot spots from around the USA. Not to suggest that that's necessarily going to be much worse than where we're at here, but at this juncture, it looks to be trending that way. Um, that's not going to be easy to just bring people in, quarantine them for two weeks and start a training camp, uh, which I think you'd have to do for the vast majority of the players in the league, mm-hmm. at least the the internationals. Uh, and then, you know, you look further into the summer, like, I guess we're just, we're sort of watching months fall off the calendar ahead of us here with pauses and postponements and cancellations. And it, it was clear that uh, Tokyo 2020 was going to be on that list. Yeah. And, and it, I mean, that's the one that they really had no choice on. I mean, first of all, it's country that's still dealing with uh, their own situation and trying to get on top of this pandemic. And as you've mentioned numerous times, not only do you have, you know, potential spectators coming from around the world, you also have athletes. And as much as we like to put athletes on this pedestal and, and talk about, you know, the, their, their abilities and, and they are, these are all freaks of nature. Olympic athletes do things that the rest of the population can't do, but they still are susceptible to a pandemic virus. So you've got athletes... Yeah. Exactly. You got athletes and even if even if they are well conditioned to not have it affect them, you can and, and not have, you know, significant symptoms, you're still talking about people from all over the world, from every country pretty much on the planet coming into one spot in an Olympic village. I, I heard the, the gang from five ninety before we come on came on was listening to Diane Matheson of the Canadian women's soccer team talking about it. You gotta be in an Olympic village in close quarters. You're sharing, you know, four people to a room and stuff like that. There's no way they could have done the Olympics. So this was the only like I think there's a better chance of other leagues in North America or in other spots of the world, parts of the world, starting up and being able to have some semblance of regularity before the Olympics could ever be a thing. Like summer 2021, if, if, you're, if you're Japan, I mean, yeah, I know you've been putting in place all these plans for the last four years, four-plus years, but is postponing by a year going to be all that much of an issue? Yes, you're going to lose money, but you still have the infrastructure. You still have all of the actual physical spots that you can do these things. And then you can hold an Olympics in 2021. Hopefully by that time in, you know, that'd be what, 18 months, 17 months from now. Hopefully by that time, we're talking about a world that resembles the normal that we got to know prior to this whole thing happening. It just makes sense. Of course, you'd hold it a year later. I don't really think it's that big of a deal. Uh, And interestingly, Japan's done really, really well with dealing with uh, COVID-19. They're at less than 1,200 cases, which is half of Canada's total, a fraction of, of what we're seeing with the main culprits in terms of in trouble right now, Italy, the USA, Spain, Germany, France, Switzerland are all growing exponentially. It's been well under control in Japan. But as you alluded to, you're bringing people from around the world. It's not the situation of one country. And if you want to talk about controlled yeah. environments, you can talk about, say, okay, which country, you know, is there a country where cases are low, where you're going to allow society to be a little more uh, available in public? where you can have more interactions with less fear of it spreading. Of course, there are cases like that. And that may be Canada this summer. It may not. But 
you can't bring the world in and expect, you know, you know, tens of thousands of people to travel there from around the world and that that wouldn't send Japan into its own spiral. And to think about how things could go in Tokyo, the most densely populated collection of humans on planet Earth, the largest collection of humans on planet Earth, like if that goes sideways, that's an absolute disaster. It's a huge credit to the city of Tokyo and, you know, the, I guess, their citizens, their leadership, that it hasn't gotten out of control in a city where people are so tightly packed. Well, unlike what we're seeing take in New a look York at, City right now. Well, I was just about to say, New York, New York, and Tokyo aren't, aren't all that different. Now, I've never been to Tokyo. I've been to New York multiple times. You've been to Tokyo before, but everything I know about both cities suggests that there's a lot of similarities in terms of how tightly packed in close quarters we're talking about and one city is potentially going to be maybe the hardest hit city in the world when it's all said and done uh and the other is being able to to get by yes with with severe and strict measures in place but being able to get by and and not have this exponential growth that we're seeing on a daily basis in in manhattan and new york city so yeah it just it it's funny as we by the way welcome to pinder and steinberg we're underway pinders at shea pinder uh, i'm here and in the old steinberg home office and logan gordon holding down the fort uh, again we thank him very much uh at the basement systems downtown studio um, I know that for anybody who has to be out of the house and, and working outside of the house, um, that's that's not always something that everybody loves. Um, so we do want to say a big tip of the hat for Logo for being in today. But it's funny. we got Chris Johnston coming up at 3 o'clock. CJ joins us every Tuesday and Thursday here on Pinder and Steinberg. And, and CJ wrote this article yesterday prior to even the Japanese government coming out and talking about it. But essentially, and, and Elliot talked a little bit about it too, but... CJ with a really good article about how this could extend the window for the NHL to potentially get something done in that the Olympics were supposed to start July 24th and originally the NHL was kind of thinking that while we can't go beyond July 24th our broadcast partner NBC will be tied up with the Olympics and there's just not going to be an ability to have games on TV well now NBC is not going to be tied up with the Olympics and there's a thought that you know this if if the ability exists and and that's a big time if as we've talked about but if the ability exists right maybe maybe they can be playing hockey in October uh, sorry in, in August, maybe they can be uh, awarding the Stanley Cup on August 15th if the situation arises. I just found that interesting. Great article up at sportsnet.ca right now by Chris Johnston. We'll get a little bit more on that at 3 o'clock. I just found the the connection of the Olympics to the NHL quite interesting from a TV standpoint and how it, it could affect the window for the NHL. Well, the other thing, too, is that Never mind the the footprint that the Olympics hold on NBC. Maybe you could make a deal with NHL Network, or you could find, a, a, you know, an agreement with another network where they could take it over. But who's going to be watching that while the Olympics are on? Like, yes, in Canada exactly. we'll get eyeballs on on the games uh, if there's a Stanley Cup being handed out. But I don't think anyone in the U.S. is going to care if they got the men's 100 meter final up against, you know, a St. Louis Boston final like we had last year. Nobody cares. I'm sorry, they wouldn't. So it's it's a big development. Only if the NHL can get to a spot where they think they can come back and put on a tournament, be that in front of an empty stadium, be that in a neutral site market where they're hosting multiple teams, be it a four-team tournament, or be it something more traditional like a 16-team tournament where we would see home and away teams in their own markets. But I think that's clearly the least likely of all outcomes at this point because of the time constraints and the number of markets that have to be in good shape. 
Yeah, I just, I, I don't, if they hand out a Stanley Cup this year, I don't see any way how it is even, like, remotely close to what we're used to. If they, in, in fact, I think the, the start of the NHL season, uh, if they're able to start in October, is going to look significantly different than what we're used to. And it might have to be the first half of the season played with no fans in stadiums or arenas, and then maybe it's half capacity, and then maybe by next February or next March we can talk about being back to 17, 18,000 people watching hockey games. But I just think everything's going to be different from a sporting perspective to get things started. But I, I do know this. If if there is an ability to have two teams or four teams playing in August, the NHL will do it, um, even if it's in empty arenas, even if it's in a spot like you mentioned yesterday in Quebec City or they got to do it in Calgary or whatever the case may be. I, I just feel like that is something that the NHL would definitely do if they have the ability to do it. The, the only other sporting thing that I wanted to hit on with you, and we talked about this yesterday, Elliot broke the news. Well, he was on with us at 3 o'clock about the CHL shutting down, canceling the playoffs. That was kind of in a holding pattern after the regular seasons had been suspended uh, and shut down. No playoffs, no 2020 MasterCard Memorial Cup, and, Rye, no no Kelowna Memorial Cup. They will not get it in 2021. The CHL will continue with their rotation. Uh, That was a stunner to me because both of us were very much in agreement that you know, we're talking about, okay, well, yeah, they'll cancel this, but then Kelowna will get it back in 2021. According to a number of sources online, that is not going to be the case, and Kelowna will just be bypassed, and no Memorial Cup for them. That's a real t- – that, that, uh, that's really too bad. Why – have you heard good reasoning for that yet? Because that, that's baffling to me. I would think there's a, a huge yeah. amount of expense and effort incurred by the Rockets to hosting such event. Have they been promised the next time up – in the WHL circuit or are, is the team worried about icing a competitive team given I would imagine all the futures deals they've made in the last two years, hoping to load up for this summer? Like how does it make sense? And do you feel this is more a CHL or a Kelowna Rockets based uh, decision? Here's here's the tweet that I saw it comes from uh, the athletic prospects writer Scott Wheeler's goes I can confirm that the Kelowna Rockets have been told they aren't getting the Memorial Cup next year the CHL will follow its usual schedule and an OHL team will host in 2021 so that coming right from Scott Wheeler on Twitter of the athletic but um, there's no uh, there's no real reason that I've seen given other than Probably they just want to make sure that they, I mean, I guess they want to make sure they, they don't get out of the rotation. It seems it seems like a really strange decision to not have Kelowna just get it again. And I know that, you know, you've got a rotation and you've got a way of doing things and all that type of stuff, but this is unprecedented. Everybody is having to do things differently and, and having to get away from typical routines during this whole thing so i was uh i was a little surprised by that because i'm with you i just thought it made uh perfect sense to let them have it again maybe it does come down to the the fact that they were ramping up for things and and their whole hockey um their whole hockey calendar for three or four years or two or three years was was pointed at hosting the memorial cup it just seems like a, a really strange decision for the chl not to go back to Kelowna. i'm sure there is a good reason i just don't know what that reason is yeah, I eagerly await that because uh, it's n- not what we guessed, albeit, you know, not being CHL insiders or anything like that. It just seemed to me 
you sink all those assets and efforts into the, hosting that tournament in that market, selling tickets and all that, you're just going to let unravel rather than keep it in place for a year from now. But again, uh, it's not necessarily Mr. Hamilton that gets to make all the decisions for the CHL. Perhaps that's yeah. what he wanted to have it this uh, just push back a year, but that the powers that be out East didn't want that to be the case. Uh, I guess we await on that. So uh, I guess the question, now that we've wrapped up the, a bit of sports, Patty, how did you survive mm-hmm. uh, another night without sports? Uh, give us the latest. How are you going nuts? Are you all right? Are you doing home workouts? How's the boat? all right. Are you, are you you wearing through the handles on those weights? What's going on? Did uh, did a uh, upper body workout yesterday? Um, did uh, the the pull exercises? So that would be uh, for your your uh, biceps and your back. Uh, I did as good as I could with uh, my limited ability here in a uh, rather cramped apartment. But was able to get about six exercises in. Uh, then went for you have a, a decent bench, walk. Right? No, I don't have a bench, so I'm, I'm having, like, for instance, I did uh, the, um, the the bent over rows I did on the side of my couch, um, so that's that's how I did that. Um, a lot of standing stuff, a lot of ab stuff, um, going to work in some, uh, some full body stuff today, so some burpees and um, some oh, yeah. squat jacks and stuff like that, some burpees uh, pop are the jacks. Right? Burpees are the worst, especially if you like if you're gonna work in. I've got I've got laminate floor, so I can't work in uh, weights with it. But even still, if you're doing like thirty body weight burpees and adding the push up to them, that'll that'll get you. Uh, I saw something online. Some dude like turned them into a super death burpees, where you got to do like a tap on each shoulder and then do a squat at the. the, It's like I don't even know if I've got the ability to do that. So yeah, did a little wee workout, went for a walk, um, watched a little TV. And downloaded NHL 20 for my PlayStation Ooh. 4. Here is here is a public service announcement for everybody out there. If you are wondering, uh, and if you're looking for something new to download, NHL 20 is on for 29.99 on the PlayStation 4 store right now. 29.99 if you want to go get yourself NHL 20. So I downloaded that last night. Uh, downloaded it overnight so it should be ready to go uh, as soon as we're done the show today i'm looking forward to getting i haven't had an nhl game on the playstation since 2017 so i'm looking forward Ooh. to nhl 20 we can see how our uh, i can simulate games at the same time as you simulate games on nhl 94 and we can compare see how uh, how things go from 94 to 2020 i'm, I'm quite excited for that so two things the perfect uh, segue from for our last two chats I did simulate the lightning and the flames. Uh, former, hit, forever a hitman, Kelly Kissio factored in big time as the flames did eco to win over the expansion San Jose Sharks. More four on two, that later. Right? Uh, oh, no, that was two. the Sharks. That's right. Sharks, uh, not the lightning. They just beat up on the lightning. Now they beat up on the Sharks. And we'll have more right. on that. But uh, he, he, of course, has the nice WHL tie-in and, of course, the Flames simulation. And secondly, you've been... Uh, not shy to talk about your prowess with the NHL series of games. Are you willing to put your gaming handle out there or is that overstepping the bounds of comfort? 
it's less about that and more so that I don't have one. Uh, I'm not like I'm I'm a millennial, but like you and I are barely millennials, right? Like we are right on the back edge of the millennial time frame. You're an 82. I'm an 84. I'm an 81. So we are. You're an 81. So you're just like you are one year away from not being millennial. But we're both in the millennial category. But I'm not like millennial enough to really be good at online gaming or you know like online gaming's hard, man. Like it's you're going up against. 13-year-old kids who can skate circles around you or shoot circles around you. Say, no, I'll just play it on, on the computer, and I play it on a decently high level. I play it with, with offsides and icings and all that, line changes on the fly. I try to make it as realistic as possible. Um, but I'm, I'll get good at it, and then maybe I'll be comfortable to go online. We'll see. All right, all Probably right. Probably okay, okay. But uh, was not the same level of confidence I recall you talking about your NHL prowess in a – Wild card Wednesday, one of the 26 we've done in the last two weeks, I swear. <laughs> uh, on the text line at 960-960, a couple of topics that we've talked about. Um, Pat wins leg day. I haven't heard anything about leg day. Um, it's true. I've heard well, about two workouts at your house. They've both been upper body. They've both have been like uh, got to wear the, mm-hmm. uh, the tank top to the beach type workouts. Well, in in fairness, like a lot of the full body stuff works the lower body, but I'm going to do uh, – Today is shoulders. Tomorrow, I think, is going to be lower body. Plus, I'm doing some runs as well. So I'm trying to trying to balance it. So tomorrow is going to be lower body. And Luke writes same things. Pat mixing a leg day. And then yeah, this one, uh, guys, the Rockets built their team to host this year, largely emptying the cupboard for next year and beyond. They're going to need two or three years again to build what they hope is a championship hosting caliber team. And, and that might very well be the main I reason why yeah. they're not hosting next year's Memorial Cup. They were supposed to ho- host in 2020. They've been told they won't host in 2021 with this year's Memorial Cup being canceled. Maybe it's just as simple, Rye, as next go around. Next time, as you said, the next time the Western Hockey League up in the rotation maybe they go back to Kelowna and go about it that way which gives the Rockets more time to build back to being the championship caliber team a host team wants to be uh for the Memorial Cup yeah no that I, that, I, that certainly is one case that makes sense that said it really didn't go as planned this year they had the coaching change it certainly it sure wasn't did. the run to a Memorial Cup hosting that that you wanted uh maybe not Saskatoon bad but not uh not the run-up you want although that really um, it, that doesn't matter if they have a good tournament. No, they didn't get to show that, but no one would remember the regular season if they if they kicked ass in that tournament. That's to be sure. Calgary guys talking Calgary sports. Pinder and Steinberg are only on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Didn't come as a massive surprise yesterday when the Canadian Hockey League made the announcement they are going to cancel the 2020 postseason and the 2020 Memorial Cup, which was set for Kelowna, British Columbia. But it still was news that nobody wanted to hear, despite how unsurprising it was. Welcome back to the program. Pat Steinberg along with you. It's time to welcome in the general manager of the Calgary Hitman. We say hello to Jeff Chanel, who joins us on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. Hello, Mr. Chanel. How are you, my friend? Doing well, Mr. Steinberg. Thanks for having me today. What, uh, what have you been doing to keep busy during these uh, rather strange times? Um... Well, we do uh, have a little bit of work to do. Uh, we've got a U.S. Uh, prospects draft tomorrow. It's our first one we've ever had 
Uh, so that's taken a little bit of our time. We've uh, moved up the WHL Bantam draft from May 7th to uh, April 22nd, so start preparing for that. Um, there's lots of little things to do. I mean, normally at this time of year, you're getting ready for the start of the playoffs, which first and foremost is on everyone's mind after what was announced yesterday. But I think that, uh, you know, eventually that, uh, you know, it, it has sunk in that we're not going to be playing hockey anymore. So uh, we're trying to keep as active as we, as we can. Well, let's let's talk about the first ever U.S. prospects draft. That's that's an interesting one, and and I'm really curious to hear what a longtime Western Hockey League man has to say about it. You guys are picking number eleven in that U.S. prospects draft. Tell us about this. Tell us about how it helps the league and and how you know it's going to kind of change the league in terms of bringing American prospects in. Well, Commissioner Ron Robinson has always tried to get more of a footprint in the in the Pacific Northwest, and you know, not just the teams that are there, but and I don't say sorry, not just the Pacific Northwest, but you know, the United States from California, Arizona, all the way to Minnesota, which is our territory in the Western Hockey League, and you know, we've worked hard at that. And there's some teams in our league that do a very good job that of recruiting those American players, specifically the you know the teams in the U.S. division. But for us, I mean, you know, the Calgary Hitman organization before us. You look at our current captain, Mark Kaslick, from Phoenix, Arizona, five-year guy. I mean, obviously, what he achieved here speaks, you know, volumes for you know, the quality of player and person that he is. But I mean, you know, we haven't had a lot of American players over time to kind of choose the Calgary Hitmen or other teams maybe in in, in Canada. So mm-hmm. I think the league is trying to, you know, grow its. You know, it's reached much like the NHL went to Europe years ago. It's a it's a it's a worldly game, and we're trying to get more and more Americans, uh, you know, acclimatized to what the Western Hockey League is about. I mean, most of them are you know focused on NC2A and college and also prep schools and stuff. So you know, a lot a lot of them aren't really a lot of them don't know what the Western Hockey League is all about. So we had a, a camp, our first ever uh, U.S. Uh, not camp, excuse me, first ever Bantam tournament, U.S. tournament in February in Kent, Washington. It was a great job. The Western Hockey League did an unbelievable job of running their first tournament. We had some teams. I think there were six, six or seven U.S. teams, some Canadian teams. All the teams uh, they had an opening night banquet. They all got a chance to see a WHL game live. Two great rivals in the Western Hockey League, Seattle and Portland. It was an exciting hockey game that night. So we did our best to showcase the Western Hockey League to all those teams and their parents that were there. Uh, obviously, there's a number of events just like there is in Canada, Bantam showcases, you know, Elite 15, Bidget showcases throughout, you know, the U.S. in the last few months that our scouts have been to. So, you know, we've done our homework. I mean, it's not like we haven't scouted U.S. players before, but this would probably be the most that we've spent on it and will continue to do more as we go along. You know, I think back, because I've been around for a long time, the first ever WHL Bantam draft was for 1975 board players, and it was a conference call, and it was two rounds. So, you know, that's where it started and it's evolved to today. So hoping over time that uh, this can grow and uh, we can get more players into the Western Hockey League. What, uh, and, and, you know, I, I always think that the, the Western League's got a, a pretty – pragmatic approach to you know there's there's different routes a young hockey player can go they can go the ncaa route they can they can go the the tier two junior and go about it that way or they can go the major junior route so when you are when you are talking about trying to get more american-born players playing western league games what what are some of the selling points that that is that are big for the league what are some of the things that that you push to some of these players saying you know what maybe the western league is the right choice for you knowing that before the the only thing that was probably in their head was going the college way 
Well, I think a lot of them, you know, you got to ask them right off the bat and their parents. I mean, usually you start with the kids because they all think they're going to be the next Connor McDavid. You know, they all want to play in the Western Hockey or in the NHL. It's no different than our players when they're playing bantam and we draft them. So, you know, what is the focus? And, you know, I will never badmouth either way. I mean, all I say to people when they're making decisions, make sure you're comparing apples to apples and not apples to oranges. There's both, both routes. There's great ways to have success both on and off the ice. You know, you have to decide that, but just make sure you're getting all the proper information. And so, you know, it's no different than when we meet with a family. I mean, you know, a lot of them don't know a lot about the Western Hockey League. So, you know, if you're dealing with a guy from Minnesota, per se, we can talk about Mark Kastlick or how far he's come from for our organization. Joel Otto, who is uh, just a valuable resource, assistant coach, been with us for 12 years from Minnesota. If he, you know, he reaches out and makes a call, you know, he's popular not only in Calgary but in the Minnesota area. You know, you want to use every angle you can to try to get your foot in the door, so to speak, to let them know what our league and what our program is about. And the education program is second to none. I think we've talked about that many times, but you know, it's mm-hmm. it's it, it, to me, there's no better program, and that's. And I'm not taking a slight at the MC2A and how they offer their scholarships, but you know you can order, you can get five years, you know, in in, in a very early, very quick time here in the Western Hockey League, and I mean it isn't reviewable after every year like a four-year full year or four-year full ride on the MC2A. With Jeff Chanel, the general manager of the Calgary Hitmen, so knowing that the Bantam, Bantam draft has been moved up, what does that do in terms of your preparation? Does that catch a lot of teams out, or because there's no hockey going on right now, is is it able to kind of be mitigated in that regard? You know, Pat, it's it's actually because one thing about the the academies, and they have their showcases like we talked about a few minutes ago, uh, the last uh, big showcase was uh, at the end of uh, February in Wilcox, Saskatchewan, where all the top teams were there. Our head scout and our top two guys, I'd say, were there that weekend. You know, and just, you know, so they, they were really, about at that time, you know, they'd seen them probably 30, 35 times, the top players, when looking at the reports that I read all the time. You know, they've seen them throughout the year, so they have a pretty good read on them. And then they saw them for a couple of days in, in uh, Penticton a few weeks ago before the, the games were canceled midstream when Hockey Canada made its decision to shut everything down. And so, you know, we got a pretty good read on the top players. Now it just allows you to make you know make more calls because usually those calls happen after each respective province's provincial camp. So Saskatchewan had their SAS first Bantam camp in February, so they're already done. But the next one coming up would have been this week, excuse me, next weekend in, in Manitoba, then a couple of weeks later in BC, and then finally in Alberta for the Alberta Cup. So what it allows now that those camps are cancelled, it allows our scouting staff to make contact with these players because most of them, there's no secrets anymore. You've watched them throughout the year, some more than others. Now you can make it, you know, contact and find out, you know, are they committed to the Western Hockey League? Do you, are, they, are they committed to the Calgary Hitmen? You know, I'll get, get all your research done, you know, a little more, not, how I say, not as rushed as it would be from the Alberta Cup leading up to the uh, Bantam draft right. four days later. Uh, the Bantam Draft Lottery in the Western Hockey League is tomorrow, as is the first-ever uh, U.S. Prospects Draft, and the Bantam Draft itself has been moved up as well. 
Uh, it is going to be uh, happening in the first week of May. Um, sorry, in the first week of April. It was originally scheduled for the uh, first week of May. As we're with Jeff Chanel, who is the general manager of the Calgary Hitmen. Jeff, let's let's talk about your team specifically now, though, uh, as as the season has come to an end. I'm I'm just curious as to it's how would you evaluate this year? How do you evaluate a year where you don't get a conclusion? What are the things that you look back on? What are some of the hallmarks that that you look for to try to evaluate an unprecedented year? Well, I think there's, you know, obviously a lot of us, and we're not alone, there's a lot of teams that can say the same thing, a lot of unfinished business. You know, I mean, the biggest thing for our hockey club this year, and, you know, injuries are part of the game and all that, the whole year. You know, from day one, we were missing players, and we weren't going to be healthy right after the World Juniors when Igor Zamula ended up having back surgery in Philadelphia. So we went the whole year without some big, big-name players not at 100%. And again, I'm not making excuses. Credit to the players. A lot of nights we were like minor hockey. We just played everybody. We couldn't scratch guys because we didn't have <laughs> enough players to scratch. You know, and I mean, to the players and the coaching staff, I thought they did a great job. And I mean, you know, you just you, you want to peak as you're coming into the playoffs and you're excited about it. And, you know, we thought we were firmly entrenched in the wild card position, you know, the first wild card position, and we got a little closer there at the end, but we knew we were going to be playing somebody in the East Division in the first round. Not that that was going to be easy. I mean, it looked as it turned out, it was going to be PA, the defending WHL champion. So you knew you were going to have a battle there. But, you know, we liked our team. We liked our makeup. We, we added Kyle Olson at the trade deadline to change the dynamic of our forward group to give us a little more edge and a little more spunk, so to speak. We felt we had too many of the same type of forwards. You know, we were obviously missing Zamula on the back end, and probably that was going to you know come and you know, bite us at some point because you don't replace number one defenseman at any level. But I just, I you know, you're just sad. You're sad for the 20 year olds. They don't get a chance to go out on their own terms. But as we've said in Toronton, hockey secondary as it should be. There's a lot more important things in hockey. I always tell the kids that. They don't think that because they think they're young and invincible. But, you know, hockey is secondary, and it should be secondary these days, as and all sports. Mm-hmm. When, uh, when you take a look at the fit specifically of Kyle Olsen, I know that he's one of the 20-year-olds that you're talking about, and, and he will be moving on after this year. But that was, that was a real nice fit for your group, wasn't it? That, that, that turned out to be a, a really good acquisition for your group. Well, it just it gave us some energy and a different look up front. You know, Kyle was a very motivated player for a few reasons. Obviously, first and foremost, an opportunity to finish his WHL career at home. You know, players love that opportunity. His parents can watch him every night. You know, secondly, he's playing for, was, was playing and still is playing for an NHL contract. You know, didn't get signed by Anaheim a year ago, went to Rochester, the American League, for an American League deal, and it didn't work out. So he was a motivated hockey player. And yeah, those two things and his competitive nature and fire that he already has, you know, that's a, that's a good mix. And I mean, it was a, you know, it just worked out well for us. And I think that, you know, it would have been nice to see what he did in the playoffs because even though he was injured when we got him, we knew that. Our line all along was we didn't get them for January and February. We got them for hopefully March, April, and May. And unfortunately, <laughs> we'll never know that. But I mean, you know, those are the type of things that you know we've we built. You know, the the sadness Pat is. I mean, we built for this team really two years ago when we traded Jake Bean and Matteo Gennaro and Beck Malenstein, and, and we were fortunate to get some young assets in Riley Stotts and and leadership in Dakota Krebs and. You know, we grew with this group, and you know we just didn't get a chance to finish it. And hey, we're not alone. There's 21 other teams that feel the same way. Yep. 
What uh, tell tell us about? You just talked about Kyle, and you know he only played fourteen, fifteen games with your group, but an opportunity to come home. But you've got Kyle Olson, Mark Kastelik, and Dakota Krebs, who will all be graduating uh, as twenty-year-olds now that the season has come to an end. Just just tell us about your your three twenty-year-olds this year, and and uh, just give us a, a little bit of a thought as to what happens next for them and what they've done in a Hitman uniform. Well, Mark Kastelik first and foremost, our captain. Playing for a contract with the Ottawa Senators, and, you know, had a great year. Came back, kind of signed an American League deal uh, at the start of the year, and really they offered him that. But he just felt that you know he wanted to come back. We knew we had a special group of players here that we'd be building on, and you know, he wanted to finish his career. Hopefully, he get better in the areas that he needs to to have success at the next level. And so, you know, he's been everything to our organization. I mean, you know, he's the gold standard of athletes when it comes to fitness. I've been leading for 30 years. I've never seen a, a young athlete take care of himself like he does. Uh, you know, and I don't know if I'll ever see another one like it. Dakota Krebs' leadership oozes character, confidence, uh, really our unofficial leader. Uh, you know, he wears the A, but I mean, you know, he is the vocal. He's more vocal than Mark. And it's ironic. They lived together as billets with the billet family in the two years since we acquired Dakota. And I mean, they become best friends. They're inseparable. And I mean, and they both kind of play off of each other. You know, Mark's more of a quiet guy. more outgoing and, like I said, more vocal in the dressing room than, you know, than Mark is. And so, you know, it was just Dakota brings so much to our hockey club. And, you know, that's... It's not just about staff and everything. I mean, it's the stuff behind the scenes that most people don't see. And, you know, those players are so important to any team at every level. And Dakota Krebs is going to be missed. Uh, you know, I don't know if you saw his video the other day about the, that he did for the, the, the COVID-19, the coronavirus. And if you get a chance, and Facebook page, it's unbelievable. I mean, this kid has personality coming out, and it is a—it's a great minute and a half. It'll make it brings bring, make someone smile in today's because uh, we don't get a lot of smiles nowadays. Yeah, and I'm with you. It was uh, it was really well done, and I thought it was really cool for for him to do that. Um, who who are the leaders on your group next season, Jeff? Who are the who are the players that you'll be looking to to carry forward, knowing that you are losing some important twenty year olds? Well, I think the big thing is, first of all, we have to find out what happens with Riley Stotts. Uh, Riley, uh, Toronto has to sign him by June 1st, uh, where he's a free agent, and then he can go back into the draft. Uh, Riley had a good year quietly. It's so funny. Everyone talks. He's, Riley Stotts didn't have a very good year. He got as many points as Mark Catholic and uh, was consistent game in and game out. Uh, Riley played, played for a contract, so his situation is a 20-year-old. Next year is up in the air. Same thing with Carson Folk. Over 30 goals, big year for us again. You know, does Vancouver sign him, or much like Mark Kasselik, do they send him back as a 20-year-old? You know, where we start is, I mean, we've got those two players, and we've got Josh Prokop and uh, Orca Weisbad, who had a, both had career years, are coming back next year, 20-year-olds. So we, we do have the four forwards potentially coming back, but we might even have two, depending on what happens with the NHL. Obviously, Janet Wu is going to move on to pro hockey, and is going to move on to pro hockey. You're not going to see them come back. So in the 19-year-old group, which is the 2001 age group, I look at Jackson Vandalese. He took unbelievable steps. The day Igor Zamula left for the World Junior Training Camp in December, he took his game to a whole different level. Probably averaged 25, 27 minutes a night. You know, in Igor's absence, he's not the same player as Igor, but he got an opportunity to play in situations maybe he wasn't playing as much with Igor and Jet there. 
And I mean, he really took a step. I expect big things from him. He's going to be one of our leaders. Uh, he is one of our leaders right now. Cam Zimmerman missed the first 34 games of the year, coming off hip surgery last summer. He's a big leader. He's a glue guy on our team. You know, you look at those two guys. I mean, you know, there's always more. You know, Riley Fidler Schultz is a young guy that just plays so hard, leads by example. We got a bunch of guys. Close-knit group. We had a group conference call today, kind of with the players and the staff, kind of say goodbye, went through everything, and you know it really was a special group. And uh, a lot of those kids are coming back next year. Jeff, really appreciate the time this afternoon. Thank you uh, for updating us on your situation, and uh, thank you for uh, those words on, on your 20-year-olds. I know it's tough for them to not be able to finish this season on their own terms, and as you said, every other team across the nation is in the same situation, but here in Calgary, thought it would be good to uh, give a little bit of love to those three 20-year-olds and, and just overall the season, because you're right, it looked like things were starting Good luck tomorrow when it comes to the U.S. Prospects draft, and uh, stay healthy, stay safe. Thanks for doing this today, Jeff. No problem. You as well. Stay safe, and I'm always available, Pat. I've got lots of time if you want to call any time. I will. I've got your number, Jeff. I will take you up on that. I don't know if that's good or bad. Just don't give it to Will. <laughs> I, I will not let Will have it, I promise. Thank you. <laughs> See you, Jeff. As Jeff Chanel, he is the uh, general manager of the Calgary Hitman. He joins us on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. The bar may be closed to patrons during these trying times, but they are open for business. Yup, pickup and delivery available by calling 403-248-3344. That's 248-3344. Thanks to the gang, uh, Chris, and the rest of the crew at Atlas Pizza for sticking with us. Uh, we love to have you on board as uh, you have been on board with us for as long as you have. Top of the hour, Chris Johnston joins us, our NHL insider also a little funny time with the one and only trent mcclellan both those things coming up after three o'clock pinder and steinberg's underway sportsnet 960 the fan pinder and steinberg continues on sportsnet 960 the fan all right welcome back it's the tuesday edition of pinder and steinberg day 13 of the sports apocalypse and yet we roll on i gotta be honest pat i thought by week two of shows without sports we'd be completely losing our mm-hmm. minds but uh we sort of found the pocket here a little bit of sports a lot of fooling around a lot of wild card wednesday and probably more information about our personal lives than anyone ever needed to know yeah it's going to be the worst thing about this pandemic i think I, at least for our listeners they're going to be like i learned way too much about pinder learned way too much about steinberg during the uh, that that's going to be the worst part of course i jest there are far more serious things but uh yeah it, it's it's been interesting and i'll i'll say this like i was uh filling out my final timesheet um for the flame season and i was like well geez how many in the way we do our our pay stuff it goes in two weeks uh two week increments so it's like there's only one game in the latest two week increment it was the last game they played our, our pay periods end on saturday and the new ones start on sunday so it's just the vegas game i'm thinking holy crap march Eighth is the last time the Calgary Flames played. It's March 24th. It's been more than two weeks since the Flames played a game, and wow. it feels like it's been it feels like it's been an entire off season. That like I 
I can barely, and you know me, you know, I've got kind of the, the weird, dorky, photographic memory when it comes to Flames games I'm covered. I can barely remember what happened in that Vegas game. Like, it, it was, and I, if I go back and look, I'm like, oh, yeah, that, but usually, I'm like, oh, yeah, this happened and this guy scored. Like, it, that, it's been that long. There's been so much information that we've all had to process during this time. It feels like it has been ages since the Flames have played a game. It's only been 16 days. Yeah, no, fair enough. And if you're yearning for more Flames action, we got you covered tonight. Another 6 o'clock puck drop and another Battle of Alberta from this year as we revisit the season series. Flames Oilers from Jan 11th. This is round two of the BOA and the one where Matthew Kachuk gets under Zach Cassian's skin, goats him into the minor or at least gets punched in the face and gets the power play for the Flames in which they – break a tie and get the two points if I'm correct. So I'm calling this Kachuk Cassie in round one, even though this is round two of the battle of Alberta this year. Correct. This is, this is like, as I said yesterday, like the December 27th game that we played the five, one win for Calgary. That was the prologue, the forward to the battle of Alberta, the three that came afterwards outstanding, including this one. Uh, it was as hot and heated as I can remember the Scotiabank saddle dome. And you had the climax late in the second period when Zach Cassian went bonkers, uh, got himself suspended, got his team uh, shorthanded in the Flames. I believe Lindholm scored the goal, which ended up being the game winner on the power play in a 4-3 Flames win. So this is uh, th- this is a really big game, and this is when the kachuk Cassian feud really began. Remember the words that came afterwards? Uh, uh, mm-hmm. Kachuk talked about, well, if you... Don't want to get hit, stay off the tracks, and Cassie and swearing and, and calling him a bunch of names and telling us all how he had 13 goals this year. Rasmus Anderson live on our post-game show with a couple of absolute gems about Dreisaitl being invisible and how much of a coward Cassian is. Like, January 11th, doesn't matter how many how much time has passed or how much has happened since that game, that's going to be one that I remember for a long, long time. Yeah, and you know what? You could argue they even get better beyond that because we've got the follow-up match, the Jan 29th, everyone in the hockey world was waiting for. That'll air tomorrow night. I'm calling that Stick Flip Dave, but it also was the Kajuk-Cassian fight that followed the All-Star weekend and Ryan Nugent-Hopkins and Sean Monaghan scrapped in that one as well. Thursday will air the Feb 1st game. That was the Oilers' route that included the goalie fight. I mean, this is some good stuff here. I actually... I believe we are. Uh, we may be changing up the Thursday game. That uh, there may okay. have been an executive decision to change up the Thursday game. Uh, that might. Okay. I, I believe what we're probably going to do. Yeah, boss is like. Ah, maybe we won't do a game where the Flames get their teeth kicked in. Which the final score oh, in that game that was, was eight three. Game. So. It was an insane game. Again, that was the Talbot-Smith fight. Uh, that exactly. was when Talbot went nuts. On, was it Sam Gagne who took the extra dig at him? Yep. Noted uh, yep. goaltending, goaltender-disturbing uh, player Sam Gagne. But I believe instead on Thursday we're going to be rolling the Halloween game against Nashville where the Flames put together that insane comeback to beat the Predators by a 6-5 score. I believe that's what Thursday is going to be. And, of course, that game featured the goal of the year candidate, uh, top of the list for Matthew Kachuk. Uh, that, that one was something special. And what looked like was going to be a lost road trip, all of a sudden the Flames got some life after choking away that lead in Regina in the, in the Winter Classic and then going into Carolina and not really being able yeah. to muster much in the final 20 minutes. 
then the sloppy start in Nashville, and you're thinking like, man, this could be the end pretty quick here. And sure enough, uh, they rally hard, not just uh, in dramatic fashion to win, but in the actual nature of the game-winning goal, how late they needed to tie it. it uh, that's a great one too. I- I'm looking forward to that. The crazy part about that game and, and the thing that always – get somewhat forgotten is that okay flames trailed 4-1 after 40 minutes of play and and it was all nashville like the preds were significantly better and and probably by all means should have won that hockey game but what always gets forgotten is that okay flames put together this crazy comeback and they turned a 4-1 game into a 4-4 game but then the predators with just under a minute and a half to go scored to make it 5-4 and and all that comeback work looked like it was completely out the window until the Flames went on the most calm, composed, confident six-on-five goalie-pulled man-up situation I've ever seen and scored the game-tying goal again to make it 5-5. I believe it was Kachuk who scored that, too, before Matthew would win it in overtime. Like Not only did they come back from 4-1 after 40, they also came back from 5-4 with less than 90 seconds to go. It was one of the most bonkers games i can ever remember yeah and you know what's funny like i think if you had to think we we, t- we saw it on sportsnet last week but maybe the wildest finish to a playoff series ever that vegas san jose series from last spring similar thing happened in that game everyone remembers the major and how san jose roared back and took a 4-3 lead after being down three nothing halfway through the third period people forget mm-hmm. marcia so tied that thing late and it went to overtime and it was the very end of overtime one where I believe it was Barkley Goodrow who hardly had a shift Goodrow, in, yep. uh, in overtime. It was his second shift in the entire overtime frame that scored it. But everyone remembers that wild comeback in the major and, oh, how could the refs do that to them? Well, it was tied going to overtime. It was next goal wins for a chance to go to the second round. So as much as the refs did hurt Vegas's chances of winning, they didn't end it. They, they absolutely had a, as good a chance as, as San Jose to win it when they drop the puck in overtime. And I think that's sort of not unlike that Nashville game. There's always a layer or two you forget. You just have this one sort of yeah. headline, but there's some, some pretty important uh, subtext on both those. Uh, before we get to Chris Johnston, you know what else hurt uh, Vegas's chance of winning that game? Their penalty kill. Uh, this is Pinder and Steinberg. We are uh, underway on a uh, on a Tuesday afternoon. Our NHL insider Chris Johnston is around the corner. How does the postponement of the Olympics impact the nhl cj's going to tell us next pinder and steinberg sportsnet 960 the fan back to pinder and steinberg calgary sports talk in the afternoon sportsnet 960 the fan chris johnston brought to you by mcleod trail midas save some cash and skip the dealer bring your vehicle into mcleod trail midas a full service shop check out their facebook page or schedule an appointment at midas.com and our NHL insider Chris Johnston dropped this last night at sportsnet.ca. Dropped just before 11 o'clock Calgary time, so you might have missed it when it did. I encourage you to go give it a check at sportsnet.ca. The headline, Olympics postponement extends window to stage Stanley Cup playoffs. Welcome back to Pinder and Steinberg, and we welcome in CJ now from Sportsnet and sportsnet.ca. So, Chris, how does, and now that we have official word that the Olympics will be postponed, how does that extend the window? for the Stanley Cup playoffs? How does it impact the NHL potentially? Well, basically what the league did is they, they sent a memo yesterday to teams and uh, there was a, a Q&A format to, to part of that memo. And, and, you know, one of the things they addressed in there was that this does now allow them, at least in theory, to potentially play beyond July 24th, which was when 
the Tokyo Olympics were, were slated to begin with an opening ceremony. And, you know, I, I still think that it's, it's a huge question mark, whether that'll happen, what it'll look like, all those types of things. But, you know, it is now at least, um, you know, I think a possibility that wasn't there before. I mean, primarily because uh, in the U.S. public broadcaster for the NHL is NBC, which uh, is obviously heavily invested in showing the Olympics. It just wouldn't, wouldn't probably make much sense to have the playoffs overlap with that and, and risk losing, you know, having that, that kind of audience for your games. And so, you know, now the, the league can at least imagine playing somewhere into August, maybe even September, although, you know, that also sort of butts up against with the idea of, of not interrupting what, what next season can be. Um, but, you know, the time frame has been expanded somewhat here as we kind of wait and see how everything unfolds. How many different scenarios do you believe the NHL has worked up or different contingency plans that they have available to them that, that could allow them to have some sort of semblance of a Stanley Cup playoffs? I don't think there are that many, to be honest. And, and you know, the, the thing is, is nothing's really been decided, but it, it does seem as though there's been a fair amount of discussion between the NHL, the NHL Players Association, you know, with the league and the team owners about, what this might look like. And, and, you know, from the best of my understanding is that what they've done is said, okay, if, if we can get playing somewhere around May 15th, this is what it might look like. You know, if it's June 1st or June 15th, this is what it might look like. And, you know, now that the, the Olympic question uh, has, has been answered, so to speak, you know, they can maybe even imagine a playoffs that start as late as early July and, and, you know, take up the, the summer months. But, you know, I, I don't know that there's, hundred different ideas anymore at this point. I think that they've, they've centered in and, and I still believe ultimately, and you know, I wrote about this early on in, in the days after the pause is that in, in the perfect world, uh, they, they'd probably like to have something like a 2014 playoff uh, just with a, a quick play in round, you know, it, there's a chance that that's not going to be possible. And, and, you know, I think some of the logistical hurdles could dictate that. I mean, you know, we're still maybe potentially talking about having playoffs held in, a neutral site or neutral sites as opposed to, you know, in, in 16 or 20 or 24 buildings around the league. Um, you know, I, a lot of those things will probably determine which way they go, but, you know, I don't get the feeling there's 20 possibilities on the board. I, I do think that there's at least an understanding of what they'd like to do and, and sort of if this can happen, then maybe it's this kind of talk. Um, but, but nothing's locked in. Nothing's been agreed upon. I think that's part of the challenge right now. You know, even for those, the, you know, the interested parties here is that they've they've had a lot of encouraging dialogue. I think they've reached sort of some idea of what this might look like, but no one's been forced into making a decision yet. Nothing's been difficult. It's all kind of theoretical and up in the air. And, and, you know, at some point in the next few weeks, it's going to get a little bit more real, you know, whether it's talking about, you know, what how free agency ends up looking or, you know, all the issues around that, what the critical dates calendar shakes out as and, and you know obviously potentially a playoff scenario if it looks like there's a path back to, to resuming the season are they in your from from who you've spoken to like you talked about ideally they'd like to have 24 teams but as you said if you're playing in only two or three neutral sites the logistics of that might be next to impossible have they do you believe that they'd be okay with an eight-team playoff or, or just a four-team playoff or something like that? Like, Are those types of contingency plans on the table? That would surprise me if they did. You know, I, I can't rule it out. Uh, but just because they've been so clear about preserving the integrity of the competition and, you know, trying to limit, I guess, how big of asterisk we would put on this cup winner, you know, I think it's inevitable mm-hmm. that there'll be some kind of 
strange feeling about what happens here. Even if one of the best teams from regular season ends up winning, it's just going to feel weird if all this, you know, happens with the couple months break in the middle of the year and having to get things up and running again. You know, I, I don't think they would go that small, but you know, maybe they'll surprise me there. You know, I, I don't get the feeling. I think if anything, they've they've looked to expand on the 16 teams, even just if it's best of three play-ins, uh, to try to at least you know give nod to the teams that were in the playoff race that they get a chance to, to kind of get involved. Um, but, you know, we're probably guilty here of being a little ahead of ourselves. And I think that's what's interesting yeah. about the calls the league's had, you know, with, with owners yesterday and with GMs today is, you know, these are some of the questions the league are fielding from important people uh, within the ranks. And, and I, I think there's still only so much they've been able to tell those, those folks. Nothing really is concrete here. Nothing's been hammered into stone. And, and probably most importantly, is they don't really know yet uh, I mean, maybe this decision will be totally taken out of their hands. Maybe, you know, the, the curve will be flattened as we all hope, uh, you know, with the, the social isolation that's going on now and that, you know, there'll, there'll be a path back to play in more cities. You know, I, I, variables, I think, to, to say it's going to be this way or this way, but, you know, based on their mm-hmm. wanting this to feel real, if they're going to bother doing it, you know, I, I would be surprised to see them take it under the, the traditional 16 playoff teams. So much has been talked about about making sure that they do everything in their power, and again, so much is out of their hands, but everything in their power to make sure that the 2020-2021 season doesn't get affected in a big way. Uh, are, are they, like, you're, you're very up on this. You've been not only talking to your sources in the NHL, but you've also been following along what's happening across the continent. What type, what does your gut say about even if they do get 82 games next season, what that might look like to start things in October. It, it, I still feel like there's a potential that it looks a little different than we're used to in, say, six months' time. And I think we may have lost Chris Johnston at Oh, we are we are back with CJ now. Okay, we got CJ back. Uh, what did you did, before you dropped out? What did you hear of my question, Mister Johnston? I I was only hearing every tenth word. I, I couldn't make it out at all. So before the line dropped. Okay. Okay. So ba- basically, the the question was if everybody's been talking about not impacting or not jeopardizing next season. But just knowing how up you are on what's happening across the continent and what's happening in the NHL. Could even the start of next season not necessarily be in jeopardy, but might start looking a little bit different than what we're used to in terms of people in arenas and things like that? I, I certainly think that's possible too. And, you know, it sounds like if we're going to have playoffs that are played into the summer, you know, I, I think that there's there's an understanding that you could probably do a bit of an accelerated off season. You know, next year to have an 82-game season doesn't necessarily have to mean you got training camps opening on September 14th or 12th or whatever the, the typical day is. I think that there's ways to push that back and shorten the camps themselves, shorten the exhibition schedule, maybe remove the all-star break, you know, do things of that nature to get that season in. But, you know, I, I think even as crazy as it sounds, I mean, we're sitting here in late March, we're talking about something that might be not be happening until September or October or even early November, depending what happens the rest of this year. You know, I don't know anyone can say for sure whether there'll be – um, you know, whether society, I guess, will return to, to what we w- would consider a normal place that, that, you know, fans can just go to games, you know, whether there'll be a second wave of the virus, which is, 
you know, what happened a hundred years ago with the Spanish flu uh, from, from what I've read is there was a second wave, which is part of what eliminated the Stanley cup in 1919, one of the only two previous mm-hmm. times when it, when it hasn't been handed out. And so, you know, I think that there's still a degree of unpredictability with that. And, and, you know, from a business standpoint, and, and obviously there's more important things, much more important things right now than NHL's business. But I, I think that the priority is to, to have next year be as normal as possible to, to try to get revenues as close to where they've been in the past as they can be over a full season with an understanding that whatever happens now, I mean, it's going to be compromised. You're probably not going to have fans in the buildings, even if there are games. Uh, you're, you're not going to be able to make back what, what would have been made if, if this didn't happen. Um, so, you know, that will become probably an increasing concern the closer we get it if, if things don't die down. But, you know, the, the hope is still from the league that, you know, this initial period now where, you know, everyone's, you know, essential services have been cut off in a lot of places or non-essential services rather. Most of us are staying at home that, you know, that this will be able to be calm to a degree that allows them to play now and, and certainly would be fine by the fall. But you know, I, I, don't, I don't think that's a guarantee. I, you know, it's just too many, too many unknowns out there to, to say one way or the other. Mm-hmm. Chris Johnston is with us, our NHL insider. He joins us Tuesdays and Thursdays on Pinder and Steinberg. CJ, just a, one more follow-up on a, this hypothetical tournament that could go down in a neutral site. What would your reaction be if they were to kick tires on, say, a Quebec City? Now, that obviously would have to require COVID-19 being under control in Quebec, which, depending on what you're reading, may not be the case. But do you think this is an opportunity the league would like to sort of kick tires on markets uh, that, you know, have shown interest in the NHL in the past? Da. And I think good we, we just dropped a, I see CJ. That was a really good question. CJ's uh, cell line, not it's not even our technology this time. Uh, Logo, if we can reconnect with uh, CJ again. Um, he is with us as he is every day, Tuesdays and Thursdays. That's something you had brought up yesterday, Rye, uh, about the potential of, of maybe having a, he's calling back on line one, so we'll get him in just a second. But that's something that you had brought up yesterday, Rye, about the potential of, holding something in in more of an actual neutral site like that we got uh, chris johnston back with us he joins us tuesdays and thursdays here on pinder and steinberg raya why don't you ask the uh, question again to cj who's back with us sorry cj just a thought on we talk neutral sites what about venues and cities that don't even have teams do you think the nhl would be interested in kicking tires on say a quebec city if that was a situation with covid19 that was obviously a safe one. Do you see this as an opportunity for the league to kick tires on, on markets they're not in? I do. And, and I think there's even a possibility it could be a non NHL sized arena. If, if you're talking about a situation without fans, I mean, the, the benefit of Quebec is it's still a reasonably large city. Um, but, you know, I'm kind of working under the assumption that we're going to be looking at games that don't include fans in the, in the, the, the stands. And so, you know, it wouldn't necessarily have to be there. It could be, you know, a junior city. You know, I think that there's a lot of options. I mean, one of the issues in, in potentially having it in all the places, in addition to the fact that, you know, the, the, the virus might not be under control in all those places, is that, you know, building availability, the ability to make ice in July and August, I mean, those types of questions I think are legit. And, you know, a, a place like Carolina or, or Stampa goes on a run, you know, those are very humid climates uh, in the summertime months, and, and I'm sure they can make ice, but it might not be very good ice. I mean, it, it, there's there's probably an argument to be stated if you're going to uh, 
a neutral site or a collection of neutral sites that somewhere further north is, makes sense. And, and you know, wouldn't it be interesting if it ended up being somewhere like Quebec or a place uh, where, where you don't currently have uh, the NHL? You know, I think that, that that can't be taken off the table. And I do know even before they suspended the seasons, they were looking at neutral site venues uh, in case they were maybe going to have to move isolated games, say the California teams relocate their games to one place. And you know, I think they were looking at all those those places where you have an NHL rink and, and not an NHL team at this point in time. Yeah, Yellowknife and uh, Whitehorse, very excited. They have a combined three cases in Yukon, Northwest Territories, and none of it. Put the cameras there. Let's go. Well, if it's just a sound studio, why not? I mean, hopefully yeah. a few reporters get to go along. I wouldn't mind that trip. Uh, okay, let's uh, let's move to something a little closer to uh, real life and less sports. Uh, a lockdown going to happen in Ontario tonight. How are you uh, ready for this? You've already been quarantining, given that you were just in California with the Leafs. I guess nothing really changes for you that much, but uh, what's the mood out there? It's it's kind of weird, you know. Nothing for me at all changes. Actually, I mean, uh, I've been I haven't been in a store in ten or eleven days, or you know, I've only left the house to go for walks or for the odd jog here or there. Uh, so, you know, I, I haven't been living that life at all. But, you know, you get the feeling that life here is kind of grinding to a halt. Uh, you know, the city's been very quiet. And, you know, I think everyone understands why it's happening and, and largely welcomes it. Uh, I guess unless you run one of those businesses and are probably worried about, you know, what it's going to mean for, for your future. But, um, you know, it's 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 a strange feeling. I, I'm lucky now. I've I've been home uh, 15 or 16 days since California and I still don't have symptoms. So, you know, I, that, that period has, has passed for me, but um, I'm just living a quiet life. I'm sure you guys are the same. I'm not, not up to a whole lot uh, watching more Netflix than I ever would during a hockey season and uh, just, just trying to work the phones and do my job still from home. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, yeah. The, the, the no school thing, uh, parents are, are getting uh, frayed at all ends. This has been quite something. We've got art class in the morning here, and I can hear them playing in the backyard outside the office here. Do you, do you find yourself supporting raises for teachers now when uh, when school comes back? I am the son of a school teacher, so I've I've always had uh, teachers' backs in that sense. And <laughs> yeah, it's like caged animals. Now the parks are closed. You kidding me? What are we supposed to do? Yikes. Send him over to Steinberg's house. I think that's the only answer. Yeah, Uncle Pat. No I don't kids know if that's going to be a It's, it's a <laughs> kid-free kid zone at Shea Steinberg. Uh, CJ, just before we, uh, before we let you go, uh, Pinder and I were talking about this a little earlier, and, and I know that the NHL is your beat, but I wonder if – were you surprised at all to hear the news that um, the CHL is just going to bypass Kelowna? Uh, they did, announced yesterday that the um, playoffs and Memorial Cup is not going to happen this year, and news today that Kelowna won't be getting it next year in 2021. Did that surprise you? Have you heard anything about about why that might have been the case? No, I sort of expected that just because of the nature of how the CHL works. I mean, obviously, the host cities are, are picked in part on what they can offer to, to host the venue, but also, you know, having a team that can, can compete in, in the tournament. And, you know, the, the Rockets were built to be a, a team that was really good right now and was probably going to have trouble doing that next year. And so, you know, what I would guess, and this is far from reporting, but more educated guess is, you know, there'll be a prime candidate when the WHL turn comes around again and they'll probably have a, a chance to sort of rebuild and, and be peaking again a couple years down the road. But, you know, it's, it's unfortunate. It's, it's not, 
you know, it's not ideal, obviously, for, for the Rockets organization, for the people in Kelowna that were banking on that event. But I do think just because of the way that tournament works where the host team gets in one of the four entries, that, that you have to be sure it's going to be a competitive team. And I wasn't, wasn't all that surprised to, to hear that uh, they're going to be out of the mix. Yeah, fair enough. Good stuff, CJ. Appreciate the time, as always. Uh, enjoy the rest of your Tuesday. Great reporting at sportsnet.ca, as usual. Thank you, pal. All right, guys, we'll talk soon. Chris Johnston, brought to you by McLeod Trail Midas. Save some cash and skip the dealer. Bring your vehicle into McLeod Trail Midas, a full-service shop. Check out their Facebook page or schedule an appointment at Midas.com. It's funny, Pat. Kind of exactly There's a lot what of... we were talking about, hey? Regarding... Just just about the the Western Hockey League and uh, oh, yeah, having yeah. Kelowna host in twenty twenty one kind of kind of what a couple of people on the text line had pointed out as well. No, it makes sense totally. I just wondered about you know you've done all this work. Are you really willing to shelve it for three years? <laughs> and I guess they are. And maybe it's not the the huge capital outlay that I'm imagining it might be. Maybe it's just a huge added workload for staff that are already in place, but. Um, or maybe you just feel like you can fire up these plans three years down the road, or maybe you say, look, three is not mm-hmm. going to be ideal. We've traded all these draft picks that are, you know, should be coming into their own in three years. Maybe we want, we want it in six years in that second next pass through. I, I get it from the hockey side. I just really wondered about revenue and just, I, I suppose the, the sunk cost of, of planning this thing, you'd be able to salvage that if it was next year, but certainly from a hockey perspective it makes a ton of sense they've been making futures trades for years to get ready for this this spring yep yeah um, and i mean by the i way, guess for yeah go ahead go ahead no it's all you you stay i'm changing topics so stay with it here okay I, the, the last thought the last point that i was going to make is just that you know it's not like an olympics where you're building all this infrastructure and you have to put things in place i mean all the actual physical stuff that a city would need to host a Memorial cup specifically a town like Kelowna. It would be, it would be just, it would be very much in place three years down the road. So it's not as if there's a ton of sunk cost that's going to go into that thing. Certainly there would be some, but don't think you're talking about as much sunk cost as you would with other one-off events like that. So to, to postpone or to kick the can down the road for a few years isn't, isn't as crazy a thought knowing the logistics of a Memorial Cup as opposed to other things of a similar nature. Crazy Ontario goes into lockdown tonight, hey? 11.59 p.m., just grocery stores, pharmacies, and uh, services deemed, um, I guess, urgent or necessary. I'm, I'm messing up the nomenclature, but I think you you get the point. That's I, I don't know mm-hmm. that we won't have one of those down the road. We'll see how it spreads. Our, our update from... Our chief medical officer is uh, 3.30 local, so that'll be coming, and the news will be out on uh, Twitter and other news sources in the next, I'd think, 10 to 15 minutes on what we have for new cases in this province. But uh, if, if it were going to go into lockdown, Patty, what are you loading up on? What are you missing? Well, I made uh, – what am I missing? Lots of things. Um, I like did, if it's tonight, uh, what did, are you going did... to get? Oh, probably lots – more protein like you, you need some more meat in the house that would be the big thing uh protein and veggies would be the main thing although i did for lunch today i uh cooked myself some unbelievable the co-op they had these dumplings on sale they were 
$4 off. I'm like, okay, I'll give these a try. I've never cooked them before. I cooked them today in the frying pan. You do a little oil, a little water in there. Wait till the water evaporates. Wait till there's a little um, black on the dumplings. It's a little bit of crisp. Mm. They were unbelievable. I might buy about 450 bags of those. Uh, they were the per- It takes like seven minutes to make. I was like, this is perfect for um, a dummy who doesn't cook very often, um, specifically never cooks himself lunch. Like I prior to this i never make myself lunch so uh yeah this is uh that 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 would be one of the main essential things i would pick up those dumplings with pork and beef they were unbelievable i'm out of good rum and i'm in trouble this is my usual go-to well, i still haven't cracked open the uh, bundaberg that you uh, brought me back from i do have some bundaberg Australia, but so. bundaberg ain't the sipping that's like the 60 percent like you can use that to sterilize your hands nearly um, I'm not a doctor. Please don't take uh, Dr. Pender's advice over the air seriously. <laughs> um, but that's that's going to be for mixing. I'm going to suggest. I haven't cracked the Bundaberg that we have in the in the old pantry, the Aussie rum. But I need some sipping rum. I, I know I got the mixing rum, but I need uh, I need something with a couple rocks. Maybe our good pal Tim the Booze guy, some of that uh, El Dorado. That would be the move. I uh, you've already finished the latest bottle of El Dorado he brought you. Dude, are you kidding me? I've finished that and another. Like it's, uh, I'm telling you, if I'm going to sit down in the evening and put the kids to bed and watching like a PVR Flames game, if it's an early start out East or, uh, you know, my wife always has a glass of wine with dinner. And if uh, I'm sort of of the, of the mind now where I enjoy beer now and then, but if it's just going to be a drink or two, it's going to be a couple fingers of rum and a couple of cubes of way we go. So those things, uh, and you know, you have people over, you want them to enjoy your delicious rum. You want to share, Pat? Sharing's caring. Getting low. Mouth. Yeah. I believe you're not supposed to have um, people over right now, though. That is yeah, true. Right but again, we were talking about the bottle we got at Christmas. There's been a long window of uh, visitation. It was very normal between Christmas and now. I've got, I'm about uh, a third of the way through that same bottle. So that's, uh, it's very, uh, that's, I'm very happy to have. So, you, so you've had like 10 ounces. Still available. You've had 10 shots in like three and a quarter of a year. Yes. Um, okay. Which I'm perfectly Up that fine ante. With. That's fine. You got to save it. It's a good stuff. You know what? I've got White Claw instead. The White Claw is my daily drinker right now. You crack open one of the, get one of the mangoes after a day on the radio. Oh, it's a perfect way. They got to get you as an influencer. Once the weather gets nice. Oh, I've, if I was on, if I was on Instagram and had followers, I would be in a bikini with, um, with White Claws all the time. They'd be all over it for influencing. Again, if I worked for White Claw, um, (laughs) we would pull that. We don't need you in a bikini. Yeah, that would not be. That wouldn't be the way to go about selling it. The Steinberg we'll take your tens bikini. of thousands of followers on Twitter, and you can just keep your clothes on. That's going to be best for the product and for all of us. <laughs> what do we got coming up next? I'm looking forward to our next guest, Trent McClellan, our good buddy from this hour is 22 minutes, and also, of course, uh, a great local sports fan, big Flames fan, Cavalry guy. He's back in town. We wanted to get together and hang out in studio when he was back from shooting their latest season. And uh, clearly that's not really the climate that we're in right now to gather communally in one spot to share germs. So we'll do it over the phone line. A little levity here as we're in day 13 of the sports apocalypse. Trent McClellan coming up next. Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Pinder and Steinberg in the afternoon. Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Well, uncertain times to be sure here in day 13 of the sports apocalypse but uh, one thing we're continually told by 
medical and non-medical experts. Laughter really is the best medicine with that in mind. Trent McClellan joining us back in Calgary, sir. How are you? Good, man. How are you guys? What's going on? Well, I've got a collection, a, a, a very varied uh, assortment of throw pillows. I'm in my wife's old office at uh, <laughs> my wife's house where I am. Uh, I'm just a tenant. Pat's uh, back in his uh, condo at uh, Shea Steinberg. Uh, he's got the Bowflex mm. going, lots of upper body workouts. We're surviving. No throw so pillows. So he's, he's no bench pressing pillows we, for me. Clearly, he's bench pressing as we speak. Uh, curls for Pat? the girls, boys. Curls for the girls. <laughs> Are you guys like me? Like, is the highlight of the day the shower? Like, is that like the <laughs> pinnacle of like, I sometimes delay the shower too, because if I do it early, then that's it. I got nothing else to look forward to. So I, you know, there's been days where I'm doing the 10 o'clock PM shower. Um, you know, the toweling is the second best part of the day, the drying off, uh, the application of deodorant, which I must add has been uh it's been optional some days, yeah. you know, I mean, there's no need to be uh, smelling Ooh. fine. You're going nowhere. So, I mean, what, who, who are we impressing here? You know? No, and, it's true. Uh, yeah. I, uh, I went for a run yesterday and that necessitated a second shower. And didn't that wow. feel like a long weekend or like, you know, a leap year? Like that was a special <laughs> thing. <laughs> you felt super busy. You're like, man, I am, I'm yeah. checking all the boxes today. That's the, that towel's still well, damp from earlier. That's okay. The, I'm going to use that one again the big thing for me is I've, I've had like from a mental standpoint like i've had to because i could very easily just get up and not get changed to do the show from home nobody's going to know but like i actively <laughs> make sure that i put on like different clothes than i would have slept Pants. in i'm like no i like just from a mental standpoint i need to have some sort of break i'm not going to be wearing the same shirt and uh and shorts that i would have potentially slept in so i put on pants and i put on a shirt i'd go to work with so that i can at least uh somewhat try to convince myself that i'm actually working yeah, that's interesting. I've gone the other route where I've done uh, jogging <laughs> pants and hoodie, and I'm like, you know what? That's uh, that's working for me. I'm gonna I'm gonna go with that again today. I'm, I'm not dirting more clothes. Like, what, what what am I? What am I? What am I doing here? What am I? Is there a camera following me around? No. So I'm like, <laughs> I'm going the other route. But I respect your your process, Pat. I'll let you have it. But I'm going the other way on that one. What are you uh, What are you doing to keep busy? And, and when have you been back to town? Are you Are you new to the pandemic? I, Nova Scotia, uh, and I guess out east has been pretty lightly hit to start, but um, I guess yeah. no one's going to be hidden from this. No, we uh, we wrapped at 22 minutes on February 28th, and then I walked right into a tour, a stand up comedy tour, about four or five days later. So I was about four shows into the tour, and I was like we got to shut this thing down because we were starting in the East coast. And although there were no confirmed cases, I was like, yeah, it's just a matter of time. And so, um, you know, you couldn't realistically ask people to gather in large groups and who's ready to laugh. Well, everyone's worried about the world. Ending. <laughs> so, uh, it's like, uh, and it's funny because the first three or four shows I was, I was getting Corona talk in there a little bit, you know, like I was working it into the conversation and in the start of the show kind of thing. And as it got more and more serious, I was like, okay, this is, this is a matter of time before it gets there. So I uh, had to pull the plug on maybe, I guess it would have been like 20 dates that I would have had set up between March and April. So, uh, so that was it. And then got back here as quick as possible. Cause you know, you don't know if they're going to start shutting down airlines and stuff. And, uh, 
And so that was it. Yeah, it uh, it happened all pretty quick because each day it was changing. Every 24 hours, it was just seemed to be more and more serious. And so I thought, uh, get back to Calgary and shut it down. Yeah, that blows, man. That really sucks. Like you put a lot of work in. You you want to hone that set. You've got a few under your belt. You're looking forward to you know visiting these different venues and cities and. All of a sudden, poof, it's gone. I mean, maybe give us the, yeah. the backstory on that because obviously you're working on a TV show, but you're also spending a lot of time building a set. Yeah, and you, you know, I've been doing warm up sets in Halifax, working on new material to get ready for the tour. And uh, it was coming along nicely. The hour was starting to cook, and and uh, was looking at possibly recording a comedy special later in the year once I had the hour kind of, you know, polished and where I wanted it. And uh, the weird thing about when you're doing a tour like this is there's so much investment up front in terms of planning and scheduling of venues and logistics and marketing and all those things. And you don't get any of that back. Like that's just money spent. And some comedians have been, you know, saying, Oh, well, I had these club dates and they've gone away now and I don't have any work and that's bad and rough. But I also had investments and deposits and venues to like, you know, to, to lock them down and secure them. And most of the venues are like, yeah, no problem. We get it. We're going to give you the money back. And then one venue is like, well, it's past our late cancellation policy. I'm like, global <laughs> pandemic, man. Are you serious? Like, so uh, most people understood. But some venues are like, hmm, we'll check our contract and get back to you on that. We'll see what uh, what happens here. But, uh, yeah, there's a lot of investment by a lot of people in time. But, um, you know, it's a hashtag, but it's true. It's like it's. It's lives over livelihood right now, so we felt it was the right thing to do, and, and I can sleep at night knowing that we I feel we did the right thing. Yeah, so whoever that jerk is in, like, Moncton or wherever it is, like, you're, next time you're there, you're across the street, and you get the big marquee. I mean, uh, I don't want to say Moncton. Let's them. say, oh, I don't know. I'll make up a city. I don't know. Saskatoon. Let's just say it's Saskatoon. Saskatoon. Sure. <laughs> Let's say it's Saskatoon. Just for, just for the hypothetical talk of it. Yeah. Like, you know what totally I'm hypothetical. I put, I picked guys. There's a lot of cities in the country. I picked a random city to just give you an example of where it could be. And uh, so that's, uh, you know, it is what it is. And uh, memory, you know, memory is important, you know, in the stand-up comedy game. Memory. Got to have a memory, guys. Next, going time, forward, uh, you know. next time we do that, we pick a random city, you should just make one up like Taskasoon. And then, you know, yeah. you can make the point. <laughs> exactly. Rhymes with Blaskasoon. Have, have you heard of this place? <laughs> Dude, you know what I went? I've been going down. I'm sure you guys have as well, but I've been going down these rabbit holes, you know, on YouTube, and I found that documentary on the uh, 1986 Canada, 1987 Canada Cup, Gretzky to Lemieux. Have you seen this? I, I watched I've the heard opening goal from the KLM line uh, last night. Someone was tweeting, or maybe it was this morning. Uh, like Larionov, Krutov, and, and Makarov, I believe. It was just unbelievable. Like the, watching the opening two minutes of that game, I'm like, oh my gosh, like this is nuts. Pace, it's, skill, yeah. tempo. Whew. It's off the hook. And it's like also savage and violent and brutal. Like just yeah. the stuff you could get away with in 87 in terms of hooks, holds, elbows. Keenan also refuses to lock into any kind of lineup in terms of like who's playing with who. So players in training camp are getting upset because they don't feel there's any kind of chemistry. And he's like, ah, just kind of stay in your lane. We'll figure it out. Anyway, so I was halfway through that. So I, I want to finish this thing off. So I've been going down the, uh, the interesting sports rabbit hole on YouTube. Yeah, that's unreal. I watched it. Game five of the ALCS where Marco Estrada had a gem into the eighth inning against the stupid Kansas City Royals. I believe they've changed their name since then. Uh, but 
that that was like a great escape. What else is on the list? I know we've been airing some stuff on Sportsnet. Like yesterday, we had the the Flames and Habs, where the Flames won in the Forum in 1989. We've been seeing a lot of Battle of Alberta. We'll carry that on the radio tonight, round two of this year's Battle of Alberta, where Kachuk gets right in between Cassian's ears, rent free. Uh, what's on the to-do list beyond uh, the 87 uh, Canada Cup? I started going down the the rabbit hole of some March Madness games because I was kicking tires on going this year. It was in it's in Atlanta, Ooh. Georgia. It was going to be in Atlanta, and uh, so I was like, I got to get my fix. March Madness is finished. It's done. It's not happening. And uh, I started going back and watching a couple of those games, and I started to watch that classic one, the Leitner shot, you know, like the Hail Mary. Leitner catches it, turns, and hits the, the buzzer beater, I think it was from 9-2. So I was halfway through that one. I'm going to finish that one, I think. And uh, there's a bunch of old stuff. I just want to go back and kind of go, okay, well, where was I when that happened? And uh, so it's been a, it's a good time to do that kind of stuff. But the, I love going watching the old hockey games because you just realize guys got away with murder absolute murder in the 80s it was also hmm. goaltending in the 80s horrible absolutely yeah, um, garbage like everybody stood up it's like how are you going to stop a puck going 100 <laughs> miles an hour you're just going to kick at it with your boot are you like Gretzky would fake the goalie fell down and he put it into an open net he scored 92 times doing that the same move I was like this is some genius went, why did I just sit down on the ice on my knees and let it hit me? And it was just like a revolutionized goaltending. It's like a stand-up goalie. You're dead. You're dead in the water. What are you doing? It's so bad. Um, it's funny. One of the things we were talking about when you were out on the East Coast filming this hour is when we get back, you know, we got to get you in studio. And then, of course, we got to get out to a cavalry game. You're a big soccer guy. I've seen you out there a bit. Uh, that season has now also been postponed. Uh, what, when are we going to see that back and, and what's going to happen? I thought this was your, your post comedy career. You were going to slide into the, the cavalry, uh, midfield. <laughs> yeah. Waiting for a call from Tommy Wheeldon in there and I, the phone hasn't rang. So I don't know. I don't know what's going on with that. A little disappointing, quite frankly, but, uh, it's gotta be weird. Cause this is the second year for this league, obviously, you know, so it's a big year to kind of build off what they, that foundation that they put in place last year. So, um, you know, like everything else, it throws it all up in the air. I know they make some; they're looking to make some renovations to Spruce Meadows again this year in terms of uh, field quality and stuff. And they've been around looking at other pitches and how they do things. So it's just it's disappointing for everybody. Training camps have been suspended, and uh, you know, other leagues, you know, you know, the infrastructure is in place to survive and move on when this is over. But for a brand new league, the second year is pretty crucial. You know, you want to make sure you get it right. So I just I just hope the parachutes are in place for them to to be able to step up when. Uh, when they get the green light to go ahead again. Cause I was, I was really looking forward to this season. I think some rivalries have developed and, and uh, it was really going to be exciting going into this new season. So hopefully it'll be up and up and running again soon. Yeah. We're chatting with uh, Trent McClellan on Twitter at Trent under underscore McClellan here on Pinder and Steinberg on sports at 960, the fan. What, uh, what have you made of, uh, we may not see them play again this year. We don't know, but what have you uh, made of the Calgary flames this year, Mr. McClellan? God, it was a year where you didn't know what you were going to get each night. It was like, okay, we win two, we lose three. We win, we win three, we lose two. It's like I, I couldn't figure out, and I don't know if the team figured out what their identity was. You know, it was kind of one of those deals. Goaltending sometimes was a little shaky on some nights. Um, you know, then the top guns would go cold for a little bit and other guys would step up. 
it just never seemed like all things were, were hitting at the same time, you know, where all cylinders were firing. So it was kind of a frustrating team to watch for the most part. I don't know what your guys' thoughts were on that. Definitely. Uh, Pinder, how many times throughout the year did we talk of, like, we use the term the roller coaster or Jekyll and Hyde? Like, it has been it has been one of the most bonkers season I can remember in terms of consistency swings. And then all of the uh, – a coach getting – essentially fired or stepping away for non-hockey related reasons we had a player collapsing on the ice uh we had one of their assistant general managers uh diagnosed with uh, als like it's just right it's been like one of the craziest years in terms of all kinds of ups and downs on and off the ice yeah and of course the passing of ken king as well who will forever go down as a massive builder in the sports community here in calgary i mean just a Really, all these things happening over one season just seems nuts. And on the, making it even worse is we kept coming back to the conversation, Pat and I. It was like, what's this team's identity? Like, what do you know you're going to get? And for most of the season, we didn't have an answer until about, I want to say, the last two to three weeks where they finally were starting to play the kind of hockey you expected them to play. And that's probably what's most disheartening for people that are you know around the team or on the team or managing or coaching the team is, it kind of felt like they were just getting to where you'd hope they'd started the season, but better late than never. And that's when the season's paused. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think this team kind of made a transformation over the last couple of seasons, I think, where they went from being the nice guys who were skilled, but were considered a little bit soft. And I think they realized that you got to play with a little bit more grit and a little bit more nasty. And I think you're right. They had started to find that. But that's, that's a new identity for this team. I mean, for years and years, it was like, oh, they're pretty good, but it's a bunch of nice guys. And I think they finally had to lose that, that personality and that identity and become more that – take on more of Kachuk's personality, I think, of like, I, we all got to be in this together. You don't have to fight, but you got to be a little bit nasty and get your nose stuck in there. And when they played that way, most nights they were successful. They were engaged. Um, you know, you, you, the effort was always there. The care level was there. And on other nights when they weren't playing that way, it was like, well, this is kind of an all-star game type mentality. And uh, we're kind of floating around here. Guys are bailing out, not finishing checks, those kind of things. And I think when they play the other way with that grit, they were they're a good team. But uh, it wasn't consistent enough. So, yeah, it was a bit of a flip-flop season for sure. Who's your guy? Do you have uh, like do you have a, a guy on this team that you're like, this, this is my guy, this is the, the player that's going to lead this team forward? I think it's Kachuk for me because it, it's he can affect the game in so many different ways. Obviously, he's got a high skill set, but also it's just that ability to hey, like things aren't going our way. I'm going to give a guy a shot, and I'm <laughs> I'm going to change the whole complex of this game. Or I'm going to you know give the goalie a little bit of a face rub there, and we'll see what happens. It's like you need that, you know. And I, I don't care any kind of team sport, soccer, basketball. You need those guys who are going to change the emotional the emotional quotient of a game. And I think Kachuk is that guy. And you know what it's like. It's a long season, game 41, you're in Florida. It's like, where do you – there's no one there. How do you find the emotional investment to, to put in that effort every single night? And I think guys like that do that for you. They, they'll, they'll do that thing that goes, oh, this the complex of this game has just changed. It went from mm-hmm. a complete snorer to now, oh, I'm going to kill this guy. Like it's And now everyone's invested – and you need that. So uh, that's what I like about Kachuk. I think he brings that every single night, and you can't question his uh, his will or desire to win, I think. Final one for me, and that's just on uh, being 
being able to watch like you're what three hours ahead where you are when you're on uh, this hour's <laughs> yeah. 22 minutes like how are, have you been able to watch games are you staying up until 2 a.m to, to finish games well the worst would be when i stayed up then i go to the channel and it's been blacked out in my region i'm like okay really we're doing this this is really like okay so i could have been in bed two hours ago but it turns out you know i so then I got to turn on the fan 960, and I'm like, that puts me to sleep at the end of the Not because of the broadcast. You know I love those guys, but I'm just, <laughs> you know. But I got a call time at 630 the next morning. Lord knows I got to be a police officer or a chef or whatever, whatever I'm going to have to be in the morning. But uh, I would always listen to the uh, the radio in the morning and kind of get the, the recap of the game and, uh, and trust their opinion. But I tried to catch, catch as many as I could, but I got burned on that a few times. I'm not going to lie to you. He's yeah, a Calgary enough. comedian, Trent McClellan, with us on Pinder and Steinberg this afternoon. What uh, you got any ideas kicking around for how to survive the pandemic and and create a little content? I've seen a lot of DJs doing you know live sets on social media. We've seen a lot of fitness people offering to do yoga or spin classes or whatever virtually. Um, you got uh, you got any ideas? Maybe you could prank call people live on your Instagram or something. What do you, what do you got up your sleeve? <laughs> There are some comedians who have been performing uh, like Facebook Live in their living room, you know? Now, fellas, <laughs> I don't know if you've ever tried to do stand-up in front of no one, but uh, it, it ain't easy. It's like getting on a seesaw, <laughs> but you're the only one on it. You're Not down true. the whole time. No one's pushing you up. No, no, no one's lifting you at any point. So I'm like, I ain't doing that. It reminds me of the time I had to do a housewarming party, a surprise housewarming party, where I had to hide in the bathroom for 20 minutes. And then the guy who owned the house brought me on and goes, hey, everybody, I got a comedian. So I just walk out of this guy's bathroom and go, I was at the Dairy Queen today, everybody. And let me tell you something about blizzards. And they're just like, what is going on? How long has that guy been in the bathroom? Who is it? Is he crawling through a vent? So anyway, that was it. I was like, never again, not happening. So no, I was not doing stand-up online facebook i've been putting out little memes and little jokes about how to survive the uh, the whole pandemic but no i'm shutting it down the tour is over okay so i will not be doing it but uh it's great to see other comedians just putting out content and musicians putting out songs and stuff and i think you need you need the arts now more than ever really you need people to kind of take your mind off it so kudos to those people who are playing empty living rooms and uh <laughs> There will be no late show, so take your time paying the bill. Okay, there's no late yeah. show. We're, <laughs> we're cleaning up here. It's the uh, toughest laugh to get: the empty living room. On the the uh, empty living room on. of. Uh, Going to wrap this up and then try and sell your merch afterwards. That's that's the real tough part. <laughs> hey guys, I got this uh, spatula. Looking to get rid of that. Four bucks. It's uh, get up at trendscomedy.com. Here, I got these salt shakers. Here. <laughs> Tough. Hey, man. It's uh, great catching up with you. We honestly, as soon as this ends, we got to get together. We're going to need you and your brethren to uh, keep the mood light and and remind us of of good times ahead. Uh, We got to survive this day in, be safe, and we'll we'll check you on the other side. For sure, everybody. See you, Trent. We're going to get through this. Don't worry about it. All right, there he is. Trent McClellan, comedian. Calgary uh, back now from uh, shooting this hour out on the east coast all right uh patty always good to catch up with trent big sports fan too i always loved his uh he would do the the post game 
locker interview representing all Flames fans in the playoffs. He'd have the towel over the shoulder, the sniffles, the sweat on the brow, and talked about the fans' game and what chance we're working and what sort of how, how the how the ebbs and flows of the game were. Love his stuff. You can check him out. His Twitter account at Trent underscore McClellan. Good stuff. Always awesome to catch up with Trent. Uh, top of the hour. Uh, we've got some more hockey content for you. We've got lots to get to after four o'clock on Wild Card Wednesday. It's a pandemic radio, Pinder and Steinberg style. Hopefully your Tuesday is going along okay. Stay safe out there. By the way, Trent joining us on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. The bar may be closed to patrons during these trying times, but they're open for business. Pick up or del- delivery available. Call 403 248 or once again, 248-33-44. It's Pinder and Steinberg on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Calgary guys talking Calgary sports. Pinder and Steinberg are only on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Last week, we restricted access to these facilities to only essential visitors, all of whom must undergo health screening prior to entering. We are continuing to look at additional measures for continuing care and long-term care facilities that operators and staff could implement to further limit the risk for residents. As soon as these are finalized, we will communicate them. That is our chief medical officer in Alberta, uh, Dr. Dina Hinshaw. Uh, She just finished up uh, very recently uh, her daily medical update as the COVID-19 pandemic continues. A couple of the highlights in there, Rye, uh, a second Calgary resident, or a Calgary resident, rather, the second person to die of COVID-19 in our province, uh, 80 years old, I believe. So that was uh, sad news, the second death in Alberta, Uh, 57 new cases cases in the province, bringing the total up to 358, Um, and it sounds like 28 of those 57 cases are community spread, which is uh, why these methods and why you hear people like Ryan Pinder and Pat Steinberg and Dean Mulberg and everybody else on your Twitter feed saying, pay attention, take heed to all of these social distancing um things put in place so if you're out for a walk make sure you stay two meters apart do what you can to follow these social distancing protocols they're there for a reason we want to get those community transmissions down we're keeping our cases at a fairly steady level day by day but right we want to keep it that way and eventually have those numbers start to drop so um that's the the latest from our chief medical officer on this date march 24th yeah, and the key takeaway is that there's there's lots of transmissions happening in the community, and that's why we have to be so vigilant with isolating ourselves and limiting ourselves socially, making sure we're giving everyone two meters of distance. Um, earlier on, as we saw these numbers climb, a lot of it was due to travel or people bringing from elsewhere, but uh, that, that certainly isn't the case right now where we're looking at, what, around 50% of, of uh, these cases just from community interaction. That's where... That, that's what we need to make sure we, we can limit as much as we can. We can't really control what people yep. come back to Alberta with, but we certainly can limit our uh, contact with others in the community. So stay vigilant out there. It's not easy. And I know a lot of people have talked about it online, but if you're having a tough time being alone, or if you're isolated, if you you know aren't real great with having limited social interactions, call loved ones, talk to people, tell them about how you're doing. That's, uh, that's an important part of this process. I'm really lucky that I got a family and, 
two wild little hyenas that I get to play with when I'm not doing a radio show here, but that's not the case for everyone. They're not with family. You might yep. be holed up all by yourself. And uh, it is important to definitely let people know how you're feeling. That's a big part of, I guess, dealing with how you're feeling. Yep. Government of Alberta. Uh, and uh, again, I, I really do um, encourage you to go follow our chief medical officer on Twitter. She's got great stuff on a daily basis, great information, great tips, but they did a, uh, a new text service that'll text you encouraging and nice things uh, on a daily basis. That I thought was a really cool thing too. Look, I mean, we, we can, all we can do right now is the best we can. Um, that's why we're, you know, we got Pinder and I trying to keep this show as as light and fluffy and stupid as possible, so that you can uh, you can get a little bit of distraction, talk a little sports, talk a little bit about our nose hair plucking um, routine, so on and so forth. Whatever we can do to give you a, a distraction, so if we can do that, uh, we're happy to do so. Um, but yeah, I, I'm with you. Call loved ones if you've got an opportunity to go out on your deck, get yourself a little bit of sunshine. Um, yeah, there's a lot of there's there's little things that you can do, and really, it's only little things that you can do right now. But I, I do think those little things can go a long way, especially if you're into that stir crazy mode. So, and and I get it; it's only gonna get worse from a stir crazy perspective. So, uh, we're uh, it, it sounds so cheesy to say, but it's true. Like we're all going through the same things. I I want to be outside. I want to be at the gym. I want to be at the bar. I want to uh, be at hockey games. I want to be doing anything but being at home but we're all going through the same thing and and we really are all in this together so it's going to be a a really interesting next number of weeks and next number of months here all right busy four o'clock hour we have a little levity around the corner wild card wednesday and uh, all kinds of good content out of toronto today patty uh the great one speaking not to mention ken holland gm of the oilers and uh, one of the best sprinters on planet Earth, Andre DeGrasse, as well. So we can sift through some of that stuff as well before we get to 5 o'clock. Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Let's take a spin and find out all the things we never wanted to know about our afternoon show. It's time for Wild Card Wednesday. Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Oh, wonderful, wonderful Tuesday to you and yours. Let's have a little fun on your Tuesday. I know that the segment's called Wild Card Wednesday, but every day's a Wild Card Wednesday on Pandemic Radio. A little bit later on this hour, we'll hear from Vegas Golden Knights, Director of Hockey Operations, President of Hockey Operations, George McPhee. He'll join us a little bit later on this hour. But right now, we've got Logan Gordon in the Basement Systems downtown studio. Ryan Pinder is at Shea Pinder right now. My name is Pat Steinberg at Shea Steinberg. We've got five categories in our little Wild Card Wednesday casino and our big slot machine. It'll land on one of these categories, pop culture, personal life, career, sports, and wild card. And uh, we all ask a question, and then we all answer the question. Uh, I'll go first. I went last yesterday, so I'm ready to rock and roll. Let's, uh, Let's get this thing started, gentlemen. Coins in. Here we go. Wild card. Here's one of uh, here's here's one that I have. I'm actually quite excited to hear what you guys are thinking. You're at a movie theater. You're going to a movie that you've been anticipating. You're with a date, with friends, whatever the case may be. 
what is your go-to snack order if you're going to a movie? You're at Chinook, you're at Sunridge, you're at Country Hills, whatever. What's your go-to snack order? Oh, my goodness. You, you got one, Rye? I've been to two movies in the last five years, maybe three. <laughs> we took my kids to Grinch uh, when my wife was pregnant with the boys. It should have been five years ago. We saw uh, the NWA movie. And then on vacation a year ago, we saw the, uh, what was the one with uh, Lady Gaga and music, la, la, la. Star is Born. Anyway, thank you. So that's like... That is less than one a year, which means there is no routine. And I don't know that we have a go-to anything except not going to movies, apparently. Uh, okay, that's not an answer. No. Logo, uh, what is your answer? <laughs> you, I'm like you. You know, I'm a, a giant Marvel movie nerd, and I have a group of friends that always goes to the premieres together. Uh, I always go for a medium popcorn, no butter, uh, dill pickle seasoning, and uh, Maltesers. That's that's the go-to every time. And usually maybe just a bottle of water. I don't want to drink too much because I'm in constant fear of having to use the bathroom during a movie and having to Mm -hmm. either interrupt the movie for myself or those around me. Uh, It's a constant fear of mine, so I try to avoid any liquids during the movie. But that's kind of my my go-to every time I'm at the movie theater. I'm I'm confident in my uh, in my bladder, so I I never have really have that worry. So my go-to order now it depends. You can do there's there's the two. If I'm if I'm going uh, with somebody who also is into having snacks, uh, like my my usual uh, movie partner, um, you you get the um, you get the two medium popcorns, uh, the two medium drinks and the candy uh you do that you most i think all of this one of the combo three or combo two at cineplex uh now if i'm going and the other person i'm going with doesn't want to have snacks and it's just me doing snacks you do the other combo which is the large popcorn the drink and the candy it's one of those two i'm complete opposite of you not only do i do butter i do layered butter so yeah you got to pay a little extra wow. but i want that butter in the middle too i don't want to deal with dry popcorn when i'm halfway through so yeah layered butter butter popcorn you get the the coke zero and the candies and my go-to candy is always the peanut butter m&ms usually i only have a few of them and save them for later but the popcorn usually gets crushed especially if i'm doing the medium that thing doesn't stand a chance i have a side question for both of you on this one especially i guess it's i only go i usually only go to cineplex i don't know if it's at other theaters or not but uh yay or nay to hot food at a movie because I know at Cineplex you can go and you can get like a poutine or you can get like a burger or chicken or whatever. I'm a hard no on hot food at the movie theater. Yeah, it doesn't seem yeah, like a good game. Not really there. my thing it's not either. Really, what yeah. they're known for. They've got like the pizza or yeah, the hot like, dogs. Yeah, unless not. I'm really hungry and I've like skipped the dinner or something like that. But usually I'm a I'm a no on that myself. Hmm, fair enough. Rye, you want to pull? Or you want me to go here? Uh, keep rolling. You're going good. All right, here we go. Okay. More that. Pop culture. Try, try yeah. it again. That was really quiet. That was the two next to you there. There you go. Sports. Ooh. Oh, 
I got sports yesterday. Second too. straight day with sports. You want to you want to hand that off to Pinder? No, I have a sports question. Uh, okay. I did come up with one just in case. I didn't expect it, but um, I'm curious about this one. You can pick any sport that you like, uh, or any sport that the major sport again uh, in North America. Give me your most hated athlete growing up. What player on another team Ooh. could you? Not stand. I want to know, like, the one guy that if you saw him at the Another bar elite and Ryan, Ryan called him a greaser, he'd absolutely punch him in the mouth, like that sort of thing. I want to know, like, the one guy that if you saw him outside of the arena, you would spit on his face. That's the guy I want to know. <laughs> Ulf Samuelson. I was a huge Cam wow. fan growing up. And Ulf had that greasy reputation and really shortened one of the greatest careers that uh, we saw in the NHL that doesn't get talked about enough. People forget Cam Neely scored 50 and 50 coming off injury. 50 and 50 is nuts. 50 goals, not 50 points. And I just think about what his career could have been if not for Ulf Samuelson. Always hated that guy growing up, and that was a period in time where my oldest cousin was a Bruins fan. I had Bruins pajamas. Everything was Bruins. The Bruins were the coolest, and how could you not love Cam Neely? Just like a prototypical power forward with maybe more scoring touch than any other that sort of played that way. I've got two. Um, they both stem from the same thing. So I want to say sometime around 1996, after it, it happened after the United States won the first ever World Cup of Hockey in 1996. They did it on Canadian soil. And sometime between then and it being confirmed the NHL was going to go to the Olympics for the first time in 1998, at some point in that two-year stretch or so, I became this, and and probably lasted for about a decade, where I became this, like, intense, insane Canadian hockey patriot who despised all American hockey players. Like, I went full Labardius for about six or seven years, (laughs) and there were two players specifically that I despised. One of them was Brett Hull, because I thought Brett Hull was a traitor. This man born in Canada has the gall to wear the red, white, and blue and represent the United States in hockey. This this man is an absolute traitor. He he should be punished for treason. Season. Uh, so Brett Hall despised him, despite the fact I love the GT Snow Racer. Uh, and then number two, uh, Chris Chelios despised Chris Jelios. He embodied everything I hated about the United States hockey program. He was he was smug. He was cocky. He had that swagger. Uh, he had a punchable face as a 12, 13, 14-year-old. I really wanted to punch him in the face. Uh, again, I have grown but nothing to have, have nothing but respect for these two gentlemen now that I have uh, matured a little bit. But yeah, as uh, a preteen and an early adolescent, to Chris Chelios, who I remember in the first Olympic game ever between Canada and the United States at the 98 Olympics in Nagano, they played in a round-robin game. I believe Canada won it 4-1. And uh, at the time, 
this was a heated rivalry, and there was uh, an after-the-whistle fracas, and Chris Chelios went to the bench with Eric Lindros' stick and would not give Lindros back his stick. He just kept the stick, would not give it back to him, and I remember raging at my television at Chelios at the time. Uh, that 4-1 round-robin win for Canada over the United States in the 98 Olympics, one of my great hockey memories. Um, anyway, Chelios and Brett Hull were the two for me. Also, not guys you want uh, paying for hotel rooms or maybe even uh, team rooms at an Olympic village. They can leave some damage, and I don't know if they had their damage deposits. What are you talking about? Yeah, that was the same tournament, those scoundrels. That played in nicely (laughs) to that heel profile with the arrogance that they also trashed their rooms at the Olympics. Come on. Uh, uh, Who was it for you, Logo? I got two. I'm with Pat. The first athlete I can remember really, really hating as a young baseball fan and someone who grew up watching the Blue Jays, I hated, and I still don't like him to this day, Alex Rodriguez. I hated him. He was just everything that I despised about baseball and going to the the Yankees who could just buy themselves World Series. He was so arrogant, and he just – he had that incident. I can't remember – uh, exactly. Of course, now I'm blanking on it. When uh, there was a fly ball in the infield, and he was running the bases, and he barked at somebody trying to get him to uh, drop the fly ball in front of him as oh, he went yeah. by. Uh, I just mm-hmm. I despised him. Everything about it. I was so happy when all the PED stuff came out. There was just something about him that just rubs me the wrong way. And uh, as a Calgarian and someone who's watched a lot of Flames hockey over the years. I'm sure this is a popular answer. I, I'm sorry. I hate Ryan Kessler. There's nothing about that guy that I like. He's a great hockey player, and I'm sure he'd be great on my team, but that dude just always seemed to get away with everything, and he just felt like he never um, never had anybody really step up to his level or he was never interested in doing any of the things. So those were, those were my two that came up immediately. It was A-Rod and Kessler. Nobody okay, picked so his fighting spots better than Ryan Kessler. Absolutely. He'd and fight. the, Amer- the American fight. stuff, too, with uh, the Canada leading up to the Olympics in 2010 yep. there, drove me up the wall. Did I ever tell you about the Ryan Kessler interview we did on this radio station? Um, there, was a, there was a game. The Flames were going to play the Canucks the year after they lost Game 7 of the Stanley Cup Finals. So, again, Vancouver was elite that year in the regular season. Couldn't be touched. They won the President's Trophy again. And the Flames weren't very good at the time. And so I, I emailed the guys in Vancouver and said, Hey, you know, Canucks are in town on Saturday. You think on Friday we could get a player on the air? Guy go, emails me back. He's like, Yeah, we'll have Ryan. Ryan Kessler for you at 2.30 p.m. I'm like, oh, no, because I know what Kessler's I know what Kessler's reaction is in this city. Nobody likes that guy in this city. So I didn't tease it. I just said, yeah, we're going to have a Canucks player on a little bit later on. As soon as text line was going at the time, and uh, I remember we brought in, welcome back, uh, Canucks uh, Flames were supposed to have a player on. Kessler called 12 minutes late. I think he did it on purpose. He's like, nah, I don't care called 12 minutes late and then when we eventually brought him on our text line exploded like get this guy off the air how dare you bring this guy on this guy is the most hated player and i was loving it because the text line was just crushing him and he was giving the like 
I, he was filing his nails. He was cooking. He was doing push-ups. He was doing laundry, like taping his sticks for the next game. Like you could name any other activity in the world. Ryan Kessler would have been rather doing that than doing the interview with me. It was incredible. I've never experienced anything like it before. And by the way, May 30th, 2007, uh, this may or may not work, but A-Rod and the Yankees are in Toronto to play the Blue Jays. Yeah, it was against the Blue Jays. Clark. Howie Clark at third base as A-Rod's rounding the bases and yells, Ha! I got it! Yeah, that was the one. That dude drove me. I'll see if I can get it here for you, Ryan. Yeah, I remember it. It was against the Blue Jays. Howie yeah. Clark at third. That was a good question, Logo. Yeah, let me see. Really good question. This. That's two straight elite sports. Hey, it still makes my blood boil watching How him turn that? his head. All right, good my question, turn, boys. Let's, uh, let's get her going. Personal life. Okay, boys, I asked you about a near-death experience yesterday. I'm going to not go too far away from that. You've got a pick between hang gliding, bungee jumping, or skydiving. What's your pick? Oh, God. <sighs> um, I am going to say bungee Ugh. jumping just because I feel like I – I need to like I've got no problem with roller coasters, right? Like you you get me in a roller coaster and you get that big heavy harness around your shoulders like I don't feel like I'm going anywhere. I feel like I'm safe despite the fact that I'm about to uh, plummet from 25 stories down. Skydiving and paragliding or hang gliding, I just I I feel like I wouldn't have much control at least if they're going to lock in something around my ankle and have it locked really tight, I, I feel like there's more control with a bungee jump. I've done not none of the three before. I don't think I ever will do any of the three, but if I had to choose one, I think I'd do bungee jumping just because I feel like it is the most of the controlled environments, at least for me. Yeah. And yet, oh. you're going to get the biggest heart drop and like, well, maybe not the biggest, but like the, the you're going to feel much more comfortable on a, a safe paraglide than that drop of death for hundreds of meters before that spring kicks in on that rope and you got to bounce up and down for another minute after. I mean, uh, you're going to not die, but it's going to be uh, an experience, Pat. I think I could do it. I think I could do that. Okay. One. I, I have a weird reason for the reason that I'm going to choose skydiving. Um, none of them are on my list of things that I need to do. I'm, I have a fear of heights. Um, so strange that I would pick skydiving, but uh, the reason that I'm going to is because uh, my 65-year-old aunt uh, went on a trip to Cuba last year on vacation, and she came uh, home. And she came over to visit uh, my family once, and she uh, had a video to show us. And my aunt is like the most conservative, you know, she just goes on vacation by herself kind of lady. Reads a book by the beach, and she just showed us this random video that she decided to go skydiving while she was in cuba so i figure if my 65 year old aunt that likes reading nora roberts can uh, go skydiving i can probably uh get the call to do it myself one day i like it a little extra motivation okay. what about you i'm gonna go i i'm i think i i, I would fear all of them a little but i kind of would if i'm gonna go i'm gonna go big and i think going big is the skydive 
There's a couple bungees that are huge. I think in what Australia and New Zealand, there's ones they have over valleys where you can do incredibly long distance of free fall before the bungee rope kicks in. And there's lots of hang gliding around locally, but I feel like the skydive, if you're going to go for the gusto, that's the one you, you get the video. You, you're in the air for the longest amount of time with free fall. I'm going skydiving if I'm picking one and I'm, I, I haven't done any of them, but I feel like if I was put up to the task, I'd be okay with it. I also have no knowledge of this, but skydiving to me feels like the most regulated or perhaps safe of the three options. I don't know anything about hang gliding, though. Yeah, that's that. I, I'm not in a position to answer that. I do know this. Uh, my uncle in the 90s ran a bungee jumping uh, crane in Kelowna. And if you went naked, you went free, guys. That was the promo they ran in the early 90s. <laughs> wow. Well, I couldn't do that. I'm a never nude. So as a never nude, no naked bungee jumping. Well, you that pay is a good way to end Wild Card Wednesday. This has been Wild Card Wednesday on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. I've got a, uh, I've got a few texts to uh, respond to um, lots of uh, lots of response on today's edition of Wild Card Wednesday. First, on the movie snack question, uh, sounds weird, but caramel M and M's in popcorn is epic. I think I can get behind that. Kind of the same idea as the Chicago mixed popcorn. Uh, this one, anyone who doesn't get snacks at the movies is a cop. Good point. Like. <laughs> you got to have snacks at a movie, uh, otherwise you're a narc. And then finally, this is uh, Logan needs to answer this one. Uh, you asked the question about hot, is hot food. And we lost Pat. I'm there here. No, Pat. I'm still here. Asked. I just dropped for a second. Oh. Um, yes, does not, not do nachos sure. count as a uh, – yeah. Um, no, I don't think so. I think nachos are a pretty – uh, or an okay, okay snack. But it's just the cheese that would be that would be hot on there, anyways. It's not like a you wouldn't eat nachos at like supper or anything like that. So I think you're fine. Fair enough. Okay. Uh, on the most hated player front, Glenn Anderson gave a vote. Probably a Flames fan. Um, some Canucks getting some votes. Matt Cook gets one. Kevin Bexa gets one. Marg is totally on board with my Hull and Chelios uh, selections. Uh, somebody goes, grew up calling Chelios Christy Cheerio. Um, somebody throws out Kessler. Um, Mike writes, same boat as Pat. Hated American players for a long time, which was at a peak during the World Cup in 96. Was ultra young, but absolutely hated Hull, Hatcher, Amante, Chelios, etc. Um, and then somebody goes, like, would you skydive by choice, Pinder? Or would it have to be like, we're paying for it. This is only only way you do it is if somebody's making it free and uh, it's some sort of challenge. I can hear Sorry, Pinder's boys, kids in the background. There, there you are. Missed, uh, would you, like, would you go skydiving by choice? Would you go by or would it have to be by uh, by challenge? I think it would have to be challenge or uh, like, so uh, by the way, my wife has just texted me. She's skydived. I did not know that. So um, <laughs> that would be the exact type of thing that would wow. get me to skydive uh, that she's done it and would be able to say, what are you, you, you big chicken? And then it would be like, okay, well now I have to do it. If your wife so, gets uh, snacks at the movie theater, <laughs> will you get snacks at the movie theater too? Trust me. She's doing the ordering. I, I just, uh, I'm happy with what I get. 
I will be polite. It's outstanding. <laughs> Up next, the uh, president of hockey operations, the Vegas Golden Knights, who were sitting number one in the Pacific Division before the NHL suspended. We've got George McPhee coming your way around the corner. He's Pinder. He's Logan. I'm Steinberg. This is Pinder and Steinberg on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Pinder and Steinberg continues on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. The hottest teams in the NHL entering the suspension was the Vegas Golden Knights. They were the last opponent for the Calgary Flames, for instance. Took a big win at the Scotiabank Saddledome. And Vegas sat on top of the Pacific Division with 86 points. They had won 8 of 10. They were on quite the run. They were getting by without Mark Stone in their lineup. And now the season's suspended. We don't know when it is going to resume or if it's going to resume. Let's check in with their president of hockey operations. George McPhee has been the architect since the very beginning. Golden Knights. He joined the gents on Hockey Central at noon across the uh, Sportsnet network a little earlier today in conversation with Jeff Merrick and the gents. Here is George McPhee of the Vegas Golden Knights. What is the day-to-day life for the president of hockey operations for the Vegas Golden Knights like over the past week and a half? What's it been like for you, George? Yeah, it's, it's uh, the same thing every day. Get up early, try to get some exercise in, and then <clears throat> I am coming into the office. There's no one here. Um, and I try to do some work for three or four hours, uh, something meaningful, and uh, and then go home, and it's family time. Berkey? Hello, Hobie-san. How are you? I'm good. Berkey Sean, how are you? Good. So let's go back. Uh, trace your career for people who remember you as a player, obviously one of the uh, – a star at uh, Bowling Green, Hobie Baker winner, uh, playing career noted for toughness, and despite kind of a small player, you were really tough. But how did you get into the management side? Like I know the answer to the question, but I want you to explain it to people who are listening. Well, as you know, Berkey, I, uh, uh, my pro career didn't last as long as I had hoped. Uh, I kicked around for about seven years and then went to law school. And I was at the Hobie Baker banquet in uh, Minneapolis uh, at the... Uh, the Cathlon Club. Yeah, the Cathlon Club. And uh, I was sitting with some folks uh, in the bar after uh, the event. And there was some guy up at the bar uh, making some noise. And I said to the people I was with, uh, who's that fella? And they said, that's Brian Burke. And uh, <laughs> so I, I went up to, to buy a round uh, for our table. And you introduced yourself. And, uh, and it changed my life. It really did. Uh, you, uh, I'll never forget that you said, you know, I'm, I'm happy to hear that you're going to law school and guys that have played the game should stay in the game. And why don't you come up and intern for me uh, this summer in Vancouver? And uh, you wrote my number down on a napkin, and uh, I was surprised to hear from you a couple of weeks later, but uh, you made the same offer. And I went to Vancouver and did some, uh, some legal work for you for a couple of weeks. And... Uh, a few years later, when uh, Berkey was taking the job in Hartford, he rec- recommended that uh, I'd be on the list of, of people to interview uh, with Pat Quinn. And uh, so thanks to Brian Burke, I got a, a chance to, to work on this side of the business, and I'm hoping that 
Brian Burke can now say all these years later he made a good decision on that guy. <laughs> well, I hey, think, hey Berkey, just I think, curious, but what, what did you see? What did you see in George initially to make that offer? Well, George is leaving out one part of the story. So we we had traded, I think, Doug Lidster to the Rangers, or he had signed there as a free agent. And George was in the hallway taping sticks, and I said something to Liddy about, or who was it, Liddy? George? Was it Doug Litzer that ended up playing with you? I said uh, something. No, I don't. I, no, I, I said something to the extent. I said something to the extent that we need the two points tonight. And George was visibly annoyed. Like he's like, "Who is this guy?" <laughs> he's he's yeah, playing yeah. for the Rangers. Yeah. He wanted, to, and he said later, he said, "I almost came over and punched you." And I'm like, "Well, that." Yeah, I, I, I do remember that now. Yeah, we were in town with the with the Rangers. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and and you. Kept saying, you know, you know, we need the points tonight and everything else. And I felt like saying, well, so do we. And uh, <laughs> George got annoyed. We're, we're we're the other team, and I like that. I, I like the fact that it was clearly I was getting under his skin. He didn't even know who I was, so I, I admired him as a player. Uh, he played for Jerry York at Bowling Green, and Jerry York's a guy I really respect. So when I left Vancouver to go to Hartford, uh, Pat Quinn was in the process of deciding who would take my job. And I, I told him quite very bluntly, I said, I'm going to be very disappointed if you hire anyone besides George McPhee. I said, I think that's the guy. I think you'll, you'll like working with him. He's, gonna, he's got a great future in the game. And George has gone on, like he said, a seven-year NHL career, not drafted, uh, was a highly skilled player in college, but made his living in the NHL more as a blue-collar guy. Um, as tough as anyone that played. Fought out of his weight class all the time. Uh, and has had a great career. His first year as a GM, when he went to Washington, he went to the finals. Um, was there for, what, 14 years, George? How long were you in, in D.C.? 17, but who's counting? 17 <laughs> years, and then go to Vegas in the, in the, in the finals again. Um, he's had a great career, so... My personal tie to George is several of my children have lived at the McPhee household while they were doing internships ah. in D.C. in school, and, and including Brendan, my, my late son. I, I said this before. George McPhee has done more for my family than anyone who's not in my family. So, so let me let me let me follow up with that then, um, George. Um, we know this about Brian, and Brian always talks about this vis-a-vis Pat Quinn, and that is training other people to work in the industry. You look at you know the list of people that came out of Pat Quinn's office in Vancouver, and it is staggering. How important is that to George McPhee? Uh, <clears throat> one of the biggest influences in in my life. Um, I I don't know that there's a there are many people that had the, uh, the standards that Pat had in terms of uh, ethics and and integrity and uh, and and just being really an incredible uh, guy's guy. Um, you know, I I I felt very very fortunate to, that my life intersected with his, and uh, you know, obviously, Berkey started it. Um, you know, when you walk into a meeting with Pat Quinn uh, into his office, if if you can see through the smoke, uh, <laughs> there's this mountain of a man sitting there, this big square-jawed Irishman with that cigar going, and he dropped everything to listen to what you had to present. And <clears throat> he listened very, very well. 
and then tell you what he thought, but you had to make your own decisions. And right or wrong, he would back you up. And uh, he was just, uh, he had time for everyone. He was a common man, and, you know, he, he often said it, uh, we're ordinary people in an extraordinary business. Um, I had time for everyone, and I just tried to absorb everything I could uh, from him uh, with respect to the game and everything that surrounds the game. George, uh, a couple of your former teammates went on to uh, be coaches in the National Hockey League, Kirk Muller, John McClain, uh, Dave Barr. Uh, are there any uh, current players that uh, are still playing now that you could see getting into the game on a coaching or managerial side? Um, well, it, sure, we could come up with a lot of names, but it's really uh, it's interesting, you know, the, the paths, that pe- the different paths that people take uh, to become become coaches and uh, um, there are there are guys that uh, I think that have great minds and and should be working in the game and just haven't got that chance um, and uh, I, I think as we all have learned um, over the years uh, it's it's not an easy uh, business to get into you're you're very very lucky and privileged to get in and to get a chance to prove yourself and um, if you get that chance, you got to make it work because um, there are fewer second chances and uh, and even fewer uh, third chances to get in. I'm curious. We're speaking with George McPhee of the uh, the Vegas Golden Knights. George, you have such a a long history in the game, and you've done so many different things. I'm I'm curious what you take the most pride in, whether it was helping to put together. Uh, the foundation of what later became a Stanley Cup winning Washington Capitals team, um, building a Vegas squad that ended up competing for the Stanley Cup in year one, uh, your brilliance, uh, squeezing general managers at the, uh, the NHL expansion draft. Is there one thing that you look at in your career and you say, you know what, that's where I'm going to hang my hat? Uh, I'm not sure. I'm, 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 I'm proud to be in the business period. Um, I am uh, proud that we, we were able to, as a group, turn uh, Washington into a terrific hockey market. Uh, needed someone. Uh, you know, we obviously created some momentum with the teams that we were putting on the ice, but you, you need uh, an ownership that can put the infrastructure together to make it all work. Uh, to seize on that momentum. And uh, I got a real nice email from Ted Leontes out of the blue about a month ago uh, just saying thank you very much for everything you did here and building this uh, and building this team um, and building this organization, which was, was really nice. I'm, I'm also very proud of what's transpired um, here in Vegas. Um, this is an incredible hockey town now. Our brand is everywhere in this town. We sell out uh, every night. Uh, we're just one of the highest revenue-generating teams in the league. You know, we have all kinds of kids playing the game now, boys and girls. We have lots of adult hockey, all kinds of tournaments going on. Um, just really captured a tremendous fan base here. Um, so... And Bill Foley's done a great job again. And he's he's built the business to 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 seize on everything that we've created on the ice. And Bill uh, can run a business in his sleep, 
Uh, he's so good at the, this, um, but he's just done a, a fantastic job with this franchise. And I think it's been very, very good for Vegas and very, very good for the National Hockey League. Um, I, 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 I guess you, in some ways you go a step beyond those accomplishments and, and, and it's, um, and it's how I viewed, uh, Pat Quinn and, and Brian Burke and, and some other, uh, uh terrific, uh, hockey men in the business. It's, it's more than just, uh, you know, what you can accomplish as a team and, uh, and the individual stuff. Um, you know, did you have an impact in a positive way on people's lives? And I can certainly say that uh, about Pat Quinn, how many people he's influenced, and Berkey, and other men like uh, like Lamorello and the Bob Gaines. Um And so you're always mindful of that um, um, when you're managing. I mean, are you doing the right things for people? Um, because I know the Quins, the Burks, the Lamorellos, um you know, behind the scenes, if someone needs help with anything, then they'll, they'll move heaven and earth to do it. And so that's that's the other part of this um, that I'm proud of. I, I, I think I've helped people along the way. Yeah, I think you have too, George. Thanks for the kind words. And uh, I, I'm always very, uh, I'm blushing here when I get mentioned in the same <laughs> sentence with Pat Quinn and Lou Lamorello. Tell us about uh, your American League team. This is going to be an interesting experiment here. Mm-hmm. Where you're going to have your American League team playing? Is it Summerlin? Is that where they're playing? Uh, they'll be in Henderson. Henderson. Uh, Henderson. We're, most of us are in Summerlin. Henderson is about 20 minutes away. Um, it's just uh, on the other side of the, the strip. So we're a 15 minute drive down to uh, the strip from Summerlin, and you know, five minutes to the airport, and another five or six minutes uh, uh, in the other direction to Henderson. Um, it's a it's a really kind of fascinating thing that's developed. Um, I, I, I in all the years that uh, I've worked in the game, we've never owned our own uh, American League team, so this is a first. Um, we uh, we were we've been in Chicago uh, for the first uh, three years that we've operated, and um, we always wanted to to move. Uh, out uh, west and, and be closer um, to Vegas. Um, and so we started uh, seeing if there were any franchises available, and there really weren't. We were, we were chasing a couple and, and really uh, bidding up. And, you know, these franchises in most places are worth three or four million. The expansion franchise went for six and a half. We ended up paying 10. And, uh, which is a lot of money, but Bill Foley wanted it to happen. The city of Henderson came to us and said, uh, you know, we've already got a project going on in Henderson to build another uh, arena with a couple of ice sheets in it. Uh, and and then the city of Henderson came back and said, you know, we will build uh, an American League arena for you guys if you want to jump in and participate. And uh there's a public facility that uh, is a is a pavilion. It's an open air thing that needed uh, some uh, renovations. And we thought, why don't we take this down, build a, uh, a facility that can be used year round, and um, and if the Golden Knights want to participate, let's let's see if we can make it happen. And 
And so that's what we're doing. So we've got the, a practice facility for the American League team and a 6,000-seat to, to 7,000-seat American League arena. I, I can't wait to see the pro scouts itineraries when that when you guys get that up and running. <laughs> yeah. I gotta go to Vegas for a week. I'll see the the Golden Knights and what are you gonna call? It? Have you named the team yet? Uh, we have not. Um, uh, we'll uh, we'll probably do that in the near future, but uh, we're working on uniforms and everything else right now. I can't wait to see those but itineraries. Yeah, uh, yeah, you know it was interesting when we first started. Uh, in our very first year when we didn't even have a team, uh, we were getting lots of calls from people that want to show us this or that, whether it's in analytics or some other products. And they always had to come and see us to do it. It could never be done over the phone. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's interesting. Well, before we went, when I was in Calgary, before we went to Stockton, we looked very hard at the market in Vegas. We met with the Boyd Gaming people. They're wonderful people. We toured the Summerlin facility. We, we we spent a lot of time on that, and that's where we thought seriously about going in because the the old team in the ECHL played in the Orleans uh, Casino Arena there, and we looked hard at that. I, I spent a good week in Vegas working on uh, on putting our team there, but we ended up going to Stockton instead. Well, we we've sold uh, seventy three hundred. Uh, we've received seventy three hundred season ticket deposits for this team. And uh, I would bet that it's going to be every bit as successful as uh, as the big club here. And uh, you know all the efficiencies that come out of this, Berkey. Uh, you can spend more time watching your players. Um, uh, if someone gets called up or sent down, they don't have to move. Yeah, you, you, sa- you, save, it, you save about a million and a half to two million in cap space, too. Yeah, yeah. We'll By not having to, to put guys on planes, I yeah. Believe me, the, yeah. the efficiencies that San Jose realizes and Toronto realizes by having their American League team in that city and not having to pay them their NHL salary on travel days, it, it's a significant advantage. And just the access to your players, uh, as you know, really helps. If someone, uh, and a lot of teams are running thin because they're tight on the cap and and carrying just 12 forwards and maybe 7D, sometimes it's 6D. Someone uh, gets sick in the morning at the morning skate uh, or just can't play, they've got an injury, you make a phone call and the guy's here in 20 minutes. Uh, we had it pretty good in Washington with Hershey. They could be there in, in uh, an hour and 45-minute drive from Hershey. Um, it was harder with Chicago. Uh, now, now you're talking about a flight. We had a great setup in Anaheim. Our farm team was in Portland, Maine. It was... <laughs> it took us a, a full travel day to get a guy in. It was brutal. Uh, or Toronto with St. John's yeah. uh, once upon a time. Uh, George, this has been a lot of fun. Um, thank you so much for coming on and and having a look back at the career and uh, and talking to us here in a, a challenging time for everybody. We all understand it. Uh, best of luck uh, in the future for both you and the, the Vegas Golden Knights. We appreciate your time today. Thanks for having me. That is George McPhee. 
of the Vegas Golden Knights joining the gents on Hockey Central a little bit earlier today. A reminder that all our guests um, come to you courtesy of our good friends at Atlas Pizza and the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar Guest Hotline. Right now, bars closed as we continue to go through these tough times, but Atlas Pizza remains open for business. Pickup and delivery available by calling 403-248-3344. Once again, that's 248-3344. Top of the hour, we'll hear from Chris Johnston, our NHL insider, but lots more still to come before we get to 6 o'clock tonight. And a reminder, 6 o'clock, round two of this year's Battle of Alberta. Some more Flames Rewind for you tonight. Flames Oilers from January 11th, if you remember correctly, that was the first time that the fireworks really started going on between these two teams. They'd continue the next two meetings as well, but we're going back to January 11th for our Flames Rewind tonight for the Flames and the Edmonton Oilers. You're locked on Pinder and Steinberg right here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Back to Pinder and Steinberg, Calgary Sports Talk in the afternoon. Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Okay, Pinder, you you have been a play-by-play broadcaster before. What like if you're a full-time play-by-play guy right now, what are you doing? If you're a full-time NHL Ooh. play-by-play guy, there's nothing going on. There's there's no hockey. What are you doing right now? Well, Doc Emmerich is the voice of the NHL south of the border. Nobody is more synonymous with the NHL in the United States than Mike Doc Emmerich. I've, I've got an answer for you. He uh, he needed to go take his vehicle in to get his uh, windshield replaced, and uh, Doc Emmerich has been doing play-by-play in uh, less traditional means, as we hear here. This is a proud name that goes back to 1919, 101 years Kaywood Service has been here. This is Paul Hoffman, a Red Wings fan, 5'9", 175 pounds, 34 years of service. This is like having Gordon Ramsay come to your house and having make microwave popcorn. He's going to put on a windshield wiper. It's a clamp apparatus that snaps around to the driver's side windshield. It snips on like that, clamps down like that, and it's flat on the windshield. And uh, what? Let's go wings? Go wings. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. That's what Doc Emmerich is doing to stay busy right now. Yeah, if you're a play-by-play guy, you're probably introducing yourself to your neighbors and, you know, uh, reacquainting yourself with your family. I don't think people realize how all-encompassing that that job is, certainly is, especially at lower levels when travel is that much more arduous. Uh, but, yeah, that's uh, usually you got your off-seasons to do your thing somewhere, hopefully near a lake and a boat. And then when it's uh, training camp until the end of, your team's run, be it regular season or playoffs, there's not a lot of room for much else but your job. So uh, I, I think we'll have to check in with Wilsey at some point this week just to see where his sanity's at. I don't know that he's built for this, to be you know, cooped up in isolation with no hockey at all. Uh, it turns out that none of us are built for this. Is uh, I think that we uh, we're, we're starting to learn right now. So that's what Doc Emmerich is doing to stay busy. Coming up in the uh, five o'clock hour, we're just minutes away from hearing from our NHL insider Chris Johnston. Uh, maybe a little bit of optimism. The Olympics has officially been postponed. Does that potentially? extend the window of when the nhl could return if they return we'll find out from cj when we come back as pinder and steinberg rolls in to the sports
Sports Drive at 5. Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Ryan Pinder and Sports Drive at 5 is only on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Busy 5 o'clock hour coming at you. Wayne Gretzky, the great one, joined uh, Hockey Central earlier today. We'll uh, take a little listen to that. Writer's block, actually, I believe is where he was. Uh, we'll hear him before 5 o'clock. Also a reminder, we got Flames, Oilers, your NHL fix, 6 o'clock. It'll be puck drop all the way back to January 11th, round two of the Kachuk-Cassian-Flames-Oilers Battle of Alberta this year. This is really round one of Kachuk-Cassian, but the second meeting of the season between the Flames and Oilers. Uh, you might remember uh, the turtle being thrown around by Oilers fans and the we'll take the power play, the goal, and the two points and first place in the division from Flames fans. A good one tonight on your radios at six o'clock. We kick off the hour though with our NHL insider, Chris Johnston. Chris Johnston brought to you by McLeod Trail Midas. Save some cash and skip the dealer. Bring your vehicle into McLeod Trail Midas, a full service shop. Check out their Facebook page or schedule an appointment at Midas.com. Well, not surprising news, something we certainly expected, but CJ with the IOC and the prime minister of Japan, essentially making official the postponement of the Summer Olympics until next summer in Tokyo. What does that mean for the NHL's opportunity this summer with no Olympics on the schedule? Well, basically what the league did is they, they sent a memo yesterday to teams and uh, there was a, a Q&A format to, to part of that memo. And, and, you know, one of the things they addressed in there was that this does now allow them, at least in theory, to potentially play beyond July 24th, which was when the Tokyo Olympics were, were slated to begin with an opening ceremony. And, you know, I, I still think that it's it's a huge question mark whether that'll happen, what it'll look like, all those types of things. But, you know, it is now at least, um, you know, I think a possibility that wasn't there before. I mean, primarily because uh, in the U.S. public broadcaster for the NHL is NBC, which uh, is obviously heavily invested in showing the Olympics. It just wouldn't wouldn't probably make much sense to have the playoffs overlap with that and and risk losing, you know, having that that kind of audience for your games. And so, you know, now the the league can at least imagine playing somewhere in August, maybe even September. Although, you know, it, that also sort of butts up against with the idea of, of not interrupting what what next season can be. Um, but you know, the time frame has been expanded somewhat here as we kind of wait and see how everything unfolds. How many different scenarios do you believe the NHL has worked up or different contingency plans that they have available to them that, that could allow them to have some sort of semblance of a Stanley Cup playoffs? I don't think there are that many, to be honest. And, and you know, the, the thing is, is nothing's really been decided. But it, it does seem as though there's been a fair amount of discussion between the NHL, the NHL Players Association, you know, with the league and the team owners about, what this might look like. And, and, you know, from the best of my understanding is that what they've done is said, okay, if, if we can get playing somewhere around May 15th, this is what it might look like. You know, if it's June 1st or June 15th, this is what it might look like. And, you know, now that the, the Olympic question uh, has, has been answered, so to speak, you know, they can maybe even imagine a playoffs that start as late as early July and, and, you know, take up the, the summer months. But, you know, I, I don't know that there's, hundred different ideas anymore at this point. I think that they've, they've centered in and, and I still believe ultimately, and you know, I wrote about this early on in, in the days after the pause is that in, in the perfect world, uh, they, they'd probably like to have something like a 2014 playoff uh, just with a, a quick play in round, you know, it, there's a chance that that's not going to be possible. And, and, 
know, I think some of the logistical hurdles could dictate that. I mean, you know, we're still maybe potentially talking about having playoffs held in a neutral site or neutral sites as opposed to, you know, in, in 16 or 20 or 24 buildings around the league. Um, you know, I, a lot of those things will probably determine which way they go. But, you know, I don't get the feeling there's 20 possibilities on the board. I, I do think that there's at least an understanding of what they like to do and, and sort of if this can happen, then maybe it's this kind of talk. Um, but, but nothing's locked in. Nothing's been agreed upon. I think that's part of the challenge right now. You know, even for those, the, you know, the interested parties here is that they've they've had a lot of encouraging dialogue. I think they've reached sort of some idea of what this might look like, but no one's been forced into making a decision yet. Nothing's been difficult. It's all kind of theoretical and up in the air. And, and, you know, at some point in the next few weeks, it's going to get a little bit more real, you know, whether it's talking about, you know, what how free agency ends up looking or, you know, all the issues around that, what the critical dates calendar shakes out as and, and you know, obviously potentially a playoff scenario if it looks like there's a path back to, to resuming the season. Are they in your, from, from who you've spoken to, like you talked about ideally they'd like to have 24 teams, but as you said, if you're playing in only two or three neutral sites, the logistics of that might be next to impossible. Have they, do you believe that they'd be okay with an eight-team playoff or, or just a four-team playoff or something like that? Like, Are those types of contingency plans on the table? That would surprise me if they did. You know, I, I can't rule it out. Uh, but just because they've been so clear about preserving the integrity of the competition and, you know, trying to limit, I guess, how big of asterisk we would put on this cup winner, you know, I think it's inevitable mm-hmm. that there'll be some kind of strange feeling about what happens here, even if one of the best teams from regular season ends up winning. It's just going to feel weird if all this you know, happens with the couple months break in the middle of the year and having to get things up and running again. You know, I, I don't think they would go that small, but you know, maybe they'll surprise me there. You know, I, I don't get the feeling. I think if anything, they've, they've looked to expand on the 16 teams, even just if it's best of three play-ins uh, to try to at least, you know, give nod to the teams that were in the playoff race that they get a chance to, to kind of get involved. Um, but, you know, we're probably guilty here of being a little ahead of ourselves. And I think, that's what's interesting yeah. about the calls the league's had, you know, with, with owners yesterday and with GMs today is, you know, these are some of the questions the league are fielding from important people uh, within the ranks. And, and I, I think there's still only so much they've been able to tell those, those folks. Nothing really is concrete here. Nothing's been hammered into stone. And, and probably most importantly, is they don't really know yet. Uh, I mean, maybe this decision will be totally taken out of their hands. Maybe, you know, the, the curve will be flattened, as we all hope, uh, you know, with the, the social isolation that's going on now. And that, you know, there'll, there'll be a path back to play in more cities. You know, I, I, variables, I think, to, to say it's going to be this way or this way. But, you know, based on their mm-hmm. wanting this to feel real, if they're going to bother doing it, you know, I, I would be surprised to see them take it under the, the traditional 16 playoff teams. So much has been talked about about making sure that they do everything in their power, and again, so much is out of their hands, but everything in their power to make sure that the 2020-2021 season doesn't get affected in a big way. Uh, are, are they, like... You're you're very up on this. You've been not only talking to your sources in the NHL, but you've also been following along what's happening across the continent. What type? What does your gut say about even if they do get 82 games next season, what that might look like to start things in October? It, it I still feel like there's a potential that it looks a little different than we're used to in say six months' time. 
And I think we may have lost Chris Johnston. At, oh, we are we are back with CJ now. Okay, we got CJ back. Uh, what did you did, before you dropped out? What did you hear of my question, Mr. Johnston? I I was only hearing every tenth word. I, I couldn't make it out at all. So before the line dropped. Okay. Okay. So ba- basically, the the question was if everybody's been talking about not impacting or not jeopardizing next season but just knowing how up you are on what's happening across the continent and what's happening in the nhl could even the start of next season not necessarily be in jeopardy but might start looking a little bit different than what we're used to in terms of people in arenas and things like that i I certainly think that's possible too and you know it sounds like if we're going to have playoffs that are played into the summer you know, I think that there's there's an understanding that you could probably do a bit of an accelerated off season. You know, next year to have an 82 game season doesn't necessarily have to mean you got training camps opening on September 14th or 12th or whatever the the typical day is. I think that there's ways to push that back and shorten the camps themselves, shorten the exhibition schedule, maybe remove the All Star break. You know, do things of that nature to get that season in. But you know, I, I think even as crazy as it sounds, I mean, we're sitting here in late March. We're talking about something that might be not be happening until September or October or even early November, depending what happens the rest of this year. You know, I don't know anyone can say for sure whether there'll be, um, you know, whether society, I guess, will return to, to what we would consider a normal place that, that, you know, fans can just go to games. You know, whether there'll be a second wave of the virus, which is, you know, what happened 100 years ago with the Spanish flu. Uh, from, from what I've read is there was a second wave, which is, part of what eliminated the Stanley Cup in 1919, one of the only two previous mm-hmm. times when it, when it hasn't been handed out. And so, you know, I think that there's still a degree of unpredictability with that. And, and you know, from a business standpoint, and, and obviously there's more important things, much more important things right now than NHL's business, but I, I think that the priority is to, to have next year be as normal as possible, to, to try to get revenues as close to where they've been in the past as they can be over a full season with an understanding that whatever happens now, I mean, it's going to be compromised. You're probably not going to have fans in the buildings, even if there are games. Uh, you're, you're not going to be able to make that back what, what would have been made if, if this didn't happen. Um, so, you know, that will become probably an increasing concern the closer we get it if, if things don't die down. But, you know, the, the hope is still from the league that, you know, this initial period now where, you know, everyone's, you know, essential services have been cut off in a lot of places or non-essential services rather, most of us are staying at home that, you know, that this will be able to be calm to a degree that allows them to play now and, and certainly would be fine by the fall. But you know, I, I, don't, I don't think that's a guarantee. I, you know, it's just too many, too many unknowns out there to, to say one way or the other. Mm-hmm. Chris Johnston is with us, our NHL insider. He joins us Tuesdays and Thursdays on Pinder and Steinberg. CJ, just a, one more follow-up on a, this hypothetical tournament that could go down in a neutral site. What would your reaction be if they were to kick tires on, say, a Quebec City? Now, that obviously would have to require COVID-19 being under control in Quebec, which, depending on what you're reading, may not be the case. But do you think this is an opportunity the league would like to sort of kick tires on markets uh, that, you know, have shown interest in the NHL in the past? Da. 
And I think good we, question, we just yeah. dropped a, I see, CJ, that was a really good question. CJ's uh, cell line, not it's not even our technology this time. Uh, Logo, if we can reconnect with uh, CJ again, um, he is with us as he is every day, Tuesdays and Thursdays. That's something you had brought up yesterday, Rye, uh, about the potential of, of maybe having a, he's calling back on line one, so we'll get him in just a second. But that's something that you had brought up yesterday, Rye, about the potential of, holding something in in more of an actual neutral site like that we got uh, chris johnston back with us he joins us tuesdays and thursdays here on pinder and steinberg raya why don't you ask the uh, question again to cj who's back with us sorry cj just a thought on we talk neutral sites what about venues and cities that don't even have teams do you think the nhl be interested in kicking tires on say a quebec city if that was a situation with covid19 that was obviously a safe one do you see this as an opportunity for the league to kick tires on on markets they're not in i do and and i think there's even a possibility it could be a non-nhl sized arena if, if you're talking about a situation without fans i mean the, the benefit of quebec is it's still a reasonably large city um but you know i'm kind of working under the assumption that we're going to be looking at games that don't include fans in the, in the, the, the stands and so you know, it wouldn't necessarily have to be there. It could be, you know, a junior city. You know, I think that there's a lot of options. I mean, one of the issues in, in potentially having it in all the places, in addition to the fact that, you know, the, the, the virus might not be under control in all those places, is that, you know, building availability, the ability to make ice in July and August, I mean, those types of questions I think are legit. And, you know, a, a place like Carolina or, or if Tampa goes on a run, you know, those are very humid climates uh, in the summertime months, and, and I'm sure they can make ice, but it might not be very good ice. I mean, there's there's probably an argument to be stated if you're going to a, a neutral site or a collection of neutral sites that somewhere further north is, makes sense, and, and you know, wouldn't it be interesting if it ended up being somewhere like Quebec or a place uh, where, where you don't currently have uh, the NHL? You know, I think that the, that can't be taken off the table, and I do know even before they suspended the seasons, they were looking at neutral site venues uh, in case they were maybe going to have to move isolated games, say the California teams relocate their games to one place. And you know, I think they were looking at all those those places where you have an NHL rink and, and not an NHL team at this point in time. Yeah, Yellowknife and uh, Whitehorse, very excited. They have a combined three cases in Yukon, Northwest Territories, and none of it. Put the cameras there. Let's go. Well, if it's just a sound studio, why not? I mean – Hopefully a few reporters get to go along. I wouldn't mind that trip. Uh, okay, let's uh, let's move to something a little closer to uh, real life and less sports. Uh, a lockdown going to happen in Ontario tonight. How are you uh, ready for this? You've already been quarantining, given that you were just in California with the Leafs. I guess nothing really changes for you that much, but uh, what's the mood out there? It's It's kind of weird. You know, nothing for me at all changes, actually. I mean... Uh, I've been I haven't been in a store in 10 or 11 days or you know I've only left the house to go for walks or for the odd jog here or there uh, so you know I, I haven't been living that life at all but you know you get the feeling that life here is kind of grinding to a halt uh, you know the city's been very quiet and you know I think everyone understands why it's happening and, and largely welcomes it uh, I guess unless you run one of those businesses and are probably worried about you know what it's going to mean for for your future but um, you know, it's, it's, it's a strange feeling. I'm, I'm lucky now I've, I've been home, uh, 15 or 16 days since California and I still don't have symptoms. So, you know, I, that, that period has, has passed for me, but, um, I'm just living a quiet life. I'm sure you guys are the same. I'm not 
not up to a whole lot, uh, watching more Netflix than I ever would during a hockey season and uh, just just trying to work the phones and do my job still from home. Yeah, fair enough. Um, yeah, the, the, the no school thing, uh, parents are, are getting uh, frayed at all ends. This has been quite something. We've got <laughs> art class in the morning here and I can hear them playing in the backyard outside the office here. Do you, do you find yourself supporting raises for teachers now when uh, when school comes back? I am the son of a school teacher, so I've I've always had uh, teachers' backs in that sense. And <laughs> yeah, it's like caged animals. Now the parks are closed. You kidding me? What are we supposed to do? Yikes! Send him over to Steinberg's house. I think that's the only answer. Yeah, Uncle Pat. No I don't kids know if that's here. Be a yeah, move it's, it's a kid kid free zone at Shea Steinberg. Uh, CJ, just before we uh, before we let you go, uh, Pinder and I were talking about this a little earlier, and and I know that the NHL is your beat, but I wonder if were you surprised at all to hear the news that um, the CHL is just going to bypass Kelowna? Uh, they, they announced yesterday that the uh, playoffs and Memorial Cup is not going to happen this year, and news today that Kelowna won't be getting it next year in 2021. Did that surprise you? Have you heard anything about why that might have been the case? No, I sort of expected that just because of the nature of how the CHL works. I mean, obviously, the host cities are, are picked in part on what they can offer to, to host the venue, but also, you know, having a team that can, can compete in, in the tournament. And, you know, the, the Rockets were built to be a, a team that was really good right now and was probably going to have trouble doing that next year. And so, you know, what I would guess, and this is far from reporting, but more educated guesses, you know, there'll be a prime candidate when the WHL turn comes around again and they'll probably have a, a chance to sort of rebuild and, and be peaking again a couple of years down the road. But, you know, it's, it's unfortunate. It's, it's not, uh, you know, it's not ideal obviously for, for the Rockets organization, for the people in Kelowna that were banking on that event. But I do think just because of the way that tournament works where the host team gets in one of the four entries that, that you have to be sure it's going to be a competitive team. And I wasn't, wasn't all that surprised to, to hear that uh, they're going to be out of the mix. Yeah, fair enough. Good stuff, CJ. Appreciate the time, as always. Uh, enjoy the rest of your Tuesday. Great reporting at sportsnet.ca, as usual. Thank you, pal. All right, guys. We'll talk soon. Chris Johnston, brought to you by McLeod Trail Midas. Save some cash and skip the dealer. Bring your vehicle into McLeod Trail Midas, a full-service shop. Check out their Facebook page or schedule an appointment at Midas.com. A lot to dive into there, Rye, but like one of the things that I, I found quite interesting, and I it was what we started the conversation with, but I I wasn't expecting the postponement of the Olympics to necessarily be tied to the NHL, but once you hear CJ break it down, it makes sense in terms of the the window, the television window, or the the viewership window specifically that could open up if you're if you're the National Hockey League. Yeah, you don't want to be running against the Olympics, and your media partner south of the border is the network that airs the Olympics. So that getting pushed back a year certainly resembles at least an opportunity for the NHL at this point. But the biggest thing is society and markets in North America have to be in a healthy enough spot to actually host any sort of hockey at that point this summer. Uh, that's just feeling like impossible to project at this point. Certainly it could be the case, and you can also paint a picture that's much grimmer we don't know, mm-hmm. but at least that opportunity uh, does exist rather than uh, the thought of, okay, maybe we could be back to normal, but yeah, NBC doesn't want to carry the games and everyone's going to be watching the, the men's four by 100 relay anyway. So th- that's one less uh, bit of competition 
for the uh, sports viewer if we're at that spot in society at that point. Later on this hour, we're going to hear from the great one, Wayne Gretzky, uh, as he joined the folks at Writer's Block on our sister station, Sportsnet 590, and across the uh, Sportsnet radio network. So we will hear from Wayne Gretzky later on this hour. It's Pinder and Steinberg on the Sports Drive at 5, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. This is your sports radio, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Streaming at sportsnet.ca slash 960. And always on the Sportsnet mobile app, Sportsnet 960, Calgary. Sports Drive at 5, brought to you by Pete the Plumber, the superheroes of plumbing and heating. Call 403-257-1766 or find them at PeteThePlumber.com for all your plumbing and heating needs. Welcome back to the Sports Drive at 5. My name is Ryan Pinder. Pat Steinberg alongside our new condensed afternoons has Pat and I tag-teaming from 2 till 6. Uh, Patty, here are the numbers in Alberta, obviously, uh, the pandemic front and center. We're both broadcasting from home. We're encouraging everyone to make sure you're socially isolating, socially distancing, uh, and we can try to flatten the curve here in Alberta. 57 new confirmed cases today of the coronavirus in our province. Our total now up to 358 in the province and about 1.1% of over 32,000 tests have come back positive. So mm-hmm. uh, it's it's still growing, but it's nowhere near some of the, uh, I guess, what would the proper words be, exponential growth we've seen in some of the trouble spots around the globe, at least not yet. That doesn't mean we've, uh, we've dodged the bullet or flattened the curve as of yet, but I certainly think it's encouraging and people can buy in a little more to, uh, you know, what they're being asked to do, limit their yeah. activity outside the home when you can see, uh, other regional areas or other countries that are going up at much higher rates. So that, that was the news today yeah, I think that, from our provincial uh, chief of medicine. I think there's reason for, I'm trying to think of the right word, like there's there's reason for optimism that Alberta could be one of the first places out of this thing, but that doesn't mean that we can stop doing what we're doing already. And And to get us out of this thing, quicker than most other places we're, we might need to get a little stricter for a little while too but i think the fact that we have been we have not seen that exponential growth and the fact that we've been able to limit the strain on our healthcare system comparatively to other spots even across the country certainly south of the border and worldwide these are optimistic things these are things that give me hope that you know maybe in the not so distant future things can resemble normal once again but it's it we're still talking about a long game here we're still talking about this being more than just another week or two um but you know the the way things are going right now and if people continue to strictly adhere to what we're doing right now and when you're outside keep that two meter distance and not leave the house unless you're going to be outside or or for essential reasons then I think that, you know, sometime in the summertime, something more resembling a normal life for us wouldn't be necessarily crazy if this continues. At least I've got optimism on that. I'm not going to sit here and project anything. By no means am I an expert. Um, you know, my little poster on the wall here knows more than I do about this stuff. But I, I feel like the optimism level that you hear from Albertans who are far more in the know than I am uh, leads me to believe that, you know, this we're doing a pretty good job right now. And I'm, I'm happy. I'm, I'm proud 
proud of what we've done so far in Alberta. I'm proud of how our, our mayor declared a state of emergency um, earlier than most other places, got right out in front of it. Uh, I'm happy that our premier decided to postpone, cancel school uh, way before uh, the rest of the continent did. Um, some of the social distancing measures our chief medical officer had put in right from the get-go was ahead of the curve. We haven't been perfect, but I feel like we've been way out in front of this compared to other places, and that makes me really proud. I, I've really I've really felt like the leadership in our province, whether it be at the municipal level, the provincial level, I, I really feel like the leadership has come through. So I'm, I'm feeling somewhat optimistic, about as optimistic as you can, in a worldwide pandemic how's that yeah and you know what's unusual is that there's some suggesting that flattening the curve will actually lengthen the time period but what it does is it keeps yourself under the control of a healthy medical system rather than overwhelming it all at once but this is what we're here to find out what happens i mean we have to make sure that we can uh, save as many lives as we can here so we again encourage everyone to keep their social interactions to a minimum. And we've got some good entertainment for you on the radio tonight, Patty. The Jan 11th round two of the Battle of Alberta from this year between the Flames and the Oilers. This is when Kachuk and Cassian heated up. Round one was a decisive victory for the Flames. It wasn't really close. There wasn't a lot of heat to that. Round two sets the tone for the uh, next three games between these two clubs that certainly didn't lack in any heat. Things went bonkers late in the second period. Kachuk had been all over Cassian all night. Levels a hit on him that ab like flattened Cassian. Cassian gets up, goes nuts, ragdolls Kachuk, and the rest was history. Uh, Flames would score on the ensuing double minor power play and would uh, go on to win that game 4-3. But it was an epic battle of Alberta, one of the best that we've seen uh, in a long, long time, and set the stage for two more epic showdowns uh, before the NHL suspended operations for the time being. I'm looking forward to it. Be tuned in at 6 o'clock for round two of this year's Battle of Alberta between the Flames and the Edmonton Oilers. All right, we got the great one coming up next. Wayne Gretzky from earlier today on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Sports Drive at 5, brought to you by Pete the Plumber, the superheroes of plumbing and heating. Call 403-257-1766 or find them at PeteThePlumber.com for all your plumbing and heating needs. Sports Drive at 5 rolls on. It's day 13 of the sports apocalypse. Yes, we've almost been two weeks to the day that sports stopped. The good news, sports conversation continuing, and we'll actually be revisiting some great Flames action from earlier this season at 6 o'clock. It'll be round two of the Battle of Alberta. But right now, the great one, Wayne Gretzky, joined writer's block with Jeff Blair and Stephen Brunt earlier today. You know, we are in the middle of a pandemic right now. What does it look like from where you are? Well, probably the same as you guys. Uh, it's kind of an eerie feeling. Uh, obviously, it's something that nobody saw coming, and this is something that uh, our generation has never seen anything like. So we're all trying to do our part. Um, our community is uh, pretty much in a lockdown other than uh, – getting things that you have to have, but uh, everything is closed. And, uh, you know, it's kind of eerie right now. And, gosh, I, I don't think uh, anybody ever thought that this would ever be in our lifetime. But uh, you know what? We're all got to do uh, a small piece, and hopefully all those small pieces added up to uh, 
getting rid of this pandemic and we can go back to somewhat of a normal life. And uh, hopefully, like uh, everyone, we we all stay safe and uh, stay healthy. You know, Wayne, uh, a lot of us are looking out for our folks right now. Your dad is kind of Canada's dad in a lot of ways. I think a lot of people feel that about Wally. How's he doing and and what are you guys doing to kind of make sure he's doing all right getting through this? Yeah, you know what? Um, That's our biggest concern. Obviously, like uh, anybody else who's got elderly parents and uh, elderly parents are battling some sort of uh, scenario. My dad's battling Parkinson's. So, you know what? My sister's got an eye on him. My brothers have got an eye on him. They've uh, pretty much locked him down and locked out the house. And uh, we're trying to keep him like every other elderly person in, in the world and in Canada safe and uh, hopefully we can get through this but uh, it is trying times for everyone and something that I, I mean my goodness nobody ever saw this coming and we certainly wish him uh, we certainly wish him the best Wayne and for everybody in your world to stay safe um, you know you're one of the few people in the world you could sort of ask this Wayne you have you you accumulated so many records that I wondered are there ones in particular that stand out above the rest like does the does the 800 and second career goal moments stand out more or do they or they're all a little bit of a blur because you own quite so many of them <laughs> well i don't mean to laugh but you know what I, I was just playing and i was lucky i was in the right scenario uh with a coach that believed in the style of play that i like to play and i've said this many times before my goodness i got to play with some of the greatest players who ever lived uh and and unselfish guys like Mark Messier and, of course, Paul Coffey and Yuri Curry. And, you know, the list goes on and on. And so um, we we weren't really, when we were playing, we were just having fun. We practiced every day. I said this to uh, an Edmonton radio station the other day. I mean, my goodness, you couldn't help but get better because we practiced so hard. And and, uh, every single drill we did, it was my line against Mark Messier's line. And I said, my gosh. How can you not become better when you play against one of the greatest players who ever lived? And so our work ethic and practice was always stellar. Uh, everybody to a man uh, really enjoyed working hard. And I think for the new guys who would come into our organization, that was one of the things that that they saw that was a little bit surprising, that we practiced every day and we practiced hard. And we were like sponges. We really believed in our coaches and what they were trying to teach us and the system they wanted to play and we learned from our mistakes. We lost to a better team in the finals in 83, and we learned from what we did wrong in 83 and took it into the next season. Um, but Glenn was a big believer. He played in Montreal and played with uh, some of the greatest players ever, and he played in Boston with the Oars and the Espositos. And he really believed that at the end of the day, uh, winning the Stanley Cup was most important. But he also wanted to win every trophy. He wanted to win the Hart Trophy. He wanted to win the Art Ross. He wanted to win the Norris. He always felt that even though those were individual awards, they were uh, manufactured by by a team concept. So, you know, I was lucky. And then, you know, as far as the records go, listen, if you play in the National Hockey League, it's an owner. And if you can break a record or have a record, it's really truly something special because there's been so many great players but for me, uh, you know, as my dad always said, records are made to be broken. Um, I remember I was breaking Gordy Howe's record, and I told my dad, gosh, in some ways I feel bad about this. And, 
he said, you know what, he's more proud of it than you are. And when somebody comes along and breaks your record, you make sure you're as uh, gentlemanly as Gordy Howe. And so here we are years later, and Alex definitely has an opportunity. And I've said this before, if he breaks my record, uh, I hope I'm there. I hope I'm the first one to shake his hand because it's great for the game. It's wonderful for the sport, and life goes on. But for me, my favorite record is, no question, 50 goals in 39 games. Uh, I got really hot at the end. and I think, I, I don't know, I think I had 11 goals in the last three games. And so for somebody to get 50 goals in 38 games, I think that'll be the hardest record for somebody to beat. Wait, and I, I, I raised this actually on the show yesterday. We were talking about the records. That, you know, the, the connection with you and Howe has always intrigued me because he's, you know, he he was an old man by the time you started playing, really. I know yeah. he kept playing, and I know you crossed over with him, but he's he's really kind of two generations removed in some ways. But why was why how for you, and and what would the, why that connection? Because you know, like I'm I'm older yeah. than you, and I didn't I didn't see the best of how in the fifties. I'm, you know, none of <laughs> you, you have to you have to be a lot older than me even to have seen that. Yeah, well, I've probably. Typically, like every other boy at a young age, you don't like to read a whole lot. But one of the things I loved to do was read anything and everything about Gordie Howe. So at a young age, six, seven, eight, nine, I read probably every Gordie Howe book there was, and um, I studied him. I I used to tease him because I remember being seven years old and going to a barber shop and asking the barber to cut my uh, hair and and give me a Gordie Howe haircut. (laughs) That's how much I admired him. Day, the, the greatest Christmas gift I ever got was the Gordie Howe jersey, number nine Red Wing. So he just became, you know, the person I idolized. And then I got so lucky at the age of 10, I got to meet Gordie Howe at a Kinsman dinner in Brantford. And I remember my dad said to me, how was Mr. Howe and how did you like the day? And I said, you know what, you, you, you put these people on pedestals. And I had Gordie as the greatest person who ever lived. And I said, you know what? When I met him, he was bigger, better, and nicer than I even imagined. And so over time, we've developed this friendship, uh, just our paths keep crossing. And when I was 16, I was playing in Toronto for the Young Nats, and his youngest son, Murray, was on the team. And Murray and I became very good friends, and he was living at my, that time my uh, agent, Gus Bedali's house. And so we became very good, very close friends. And we used to get on the team bus, and Murray would have all his books, and he'd always say to me, Wayne, you got to bring your books on the road. you got to keep up in your schoolwork. you got to study. And so one time I got on the bus, and I had these couple books, and Murray said to me, gosh, good to see you got your books. And I showed him it was two Gordie Howe books. (laughs) (laughs) Murray was studying to be a doctor, and I was studying to be a hockey player. But And then at 17 – Gosh, Jacques Demars was so nice. He picked me to play in the series against the Soviets. And I didn't even think I was going to play. I was kind of an extra guy. I was 17. And I walked in the locker room, and Jacques Demers grabbed me, and he said, you know what, you're going to center the old man and his son. And I remember I almost started crying because I was so nervous. And so we played together in that game. And as time went on, we just stayed friends. And we do charity events in the summertime together. Um I just always felt like um, he was so special. And to this day, I always tell people, the two greatest players that ever lived were Gordie Howe and Bobby Orr. And what makes our game so great is that they were both good people, and they both passed that on to the next generations. And so I always think of 
when young guys meet me when I was playing, uh, I always think of when I met Gordie Howe and how impressionable it was to me and how much he respected not only the game but people in life. And Gordie was one of those few guys, you know, it didn't matter if you were standing on the street corner or you were the president of the United States. Uh, Gordie Howe could have a conversation. And one of the great thrills of my life was when I was 10 and I got to speak at that awards dinner in Brantford. And years and years later, I got invited to a similar dinner in Saskatoon. Uh, 3,000 people were there. And I called Gordy and I said, listen, it was a couple of years before he passed and he was getting a little bit older. I talked to him and his son. I said, I want to surprise everybody and fly you in and take care of you and put you up for a couple of days. And I want this to be something really special for the people of Saskatchewan. And so as I got introduced and I walked out and I grabbed the microphone, uh, I introduced Gordy Howe. And it was the greatest ovation other than the 1980 All-Star game when he got the ovation that probably would have kept going had the uh, public address announcer not started talking. But um, he just, he was the best. He was just a great person. I'm so fortunate that I knew him and I knew his family and just wonderful, wonderful people and very, very proud Canadian. Uh, you know, we, I mentioned we had Kelly Rudy on yesterday, and he was talking about that night you got the 800 and, and second goal and how it was kind of cool seeing Marty McSorley get the assist. And he said, I didn't want to take anything away from Luke Robitaille, but Yari Curry had just jumped in the ice, and he said it would have been so perfect if Yari had had, had been able to get in on, on that goal as well. And then he started talking about Marty. And, you know, look, Wayne, I covered and watched your teams. I know all about you. I know all about coffee. Obviously, Messier was great. I loved Yari Curry. Um, tell and but, but Kelly went on about what a good player Marty turned into. Who, who on those great teams, Wayne, do we, do, do we not realize, you know, was, was good? Who, who, who was better than we think they were on that team? Yeah. Well, first of all, let me say this about Marty. When he first came to Edmonton, he was horrible. I remember saying this either <laughs> – what are we doing? Where are we going with this organization? <laughs> I started thinking, my goodness, Marty used to every single day be an hour on the ice. I'd be leaving the arena and he would still be on the ice. And then after he would get off the ice, the trainers would get him a burger. He'd sit down and he would train and work out. And then he would take his skates and he would go skate on these ponds in Edmonton and lakes and, and backyard rinks and he just made himself a hockey player. And I tell young kids all the time, and I tell parents, listen, there's only so many Gordie Howes and Mark Messier's and Mario Lemieux's, but Marty McSorley is an inspiration that you can make the NHL if you put the work and the time in, and that's what you have to do. Um, looking at those teams, and, and I say this, there were so many good players, but a few of the guys that were unsung heroes Charlie Huddy and Randy Gregg, those two guys were just mainstay players. Randy Gregg today, five Stanley Cups, and he's probably on the front lines. He's a doctor. Uh, Just really special players that really fit what we needed for that hockey club. Uh, Pat Hughes on right side, he came from Montreal, didn't play a whole lot, but won a Stanley Cup. Mark Napier, both those guys came in. And they were instrumental in the success of our organization. Uh, Craig McTavish, Dave Hunter, and the list, you know, each guy had a defined role. Say there was funny, we have 65 guys at training camp. And, you know, those days, everybody would sit in the room the first day, and Glenn would walk around the room, and 
most teams would say, hey, every job's up for grabs, and that was such a load of crap. And Glenn would say, there's one spot open, and I'm not sure who's going to get it, but you do what you do best and bring something special to this team, and you're going to make the team. And we have guys like Billy Carroll and guys like uh, Keith Acton that fit that role and were special for our team and guys that we needed to be successful. Uh, I remember we traded for Craig Muni, and I remember thinking, how is this guy not playing on another team in the NHL? He's playing 24 minutes a game for the Stanley Cup champions, and he played the previous two years in the minors. So each guy that came there understood, I just have to do my job. I have to practice as hard as Curry and Coffee and Messier, and I got a chance to play on a really good team. And so the success of our team started with Glenn because Glenn made every guy feel important. And then it went to Lee Fogelin and guys like Mark and Kevin Lowe. Every guy who came there would always tell you to a man, this is so different than I thought it was going to be because our image and our reputation was that it was an arrogant group of guys and it was tough to fit in. And that was so the opposite. I've got just one more quick question before I turn you back over to Deitch. I don't know if you get asked this, but I'm a WHA fan. I grew up watching the Jets. Ulf Nilsson was one of my favorite players. What memorabilia do you have from your time with the Indianapolis Racers? <laughs> Not a whole lot. Maybe a hockey stick. <laughs> the trainer, okay. I remember I got trained and my dad said, grab your jerseys. I went to grab the jerseys and the trainer said, no, no, I got them. I'll send them to you. Well, he ended up selling them and some guy bought them and actually... I just signed both jerseys for a collector about a year ago, so I don't have a whole lot. But I remember the first day I walked into the locker room in Edmonton, and Glenn Sather said to me, we're going to design a team like the Winnipeg Jets. Hull, Nielsen, Hedberg, that's the kind of team I want. A year from now, we're going to be in the National Hockey League. One day, you're going to be the captain of this team, and one day, we're going to win the Stanley Cup. And here I'm thinking, my gosh, I just want to play play a game in the WHA. And before I left his <laughs> office, I was already left in the Stanley Cup. <laughs> so Glenn had a vision of what he wanted. He really believed uh, that he could build a team similar to that of the uh, Winnipeg Jets of the 70s. And my goodness, he went on to do it. And in those days, each WHA team could protect two players going in to the next season and Glenn protected, protected myself and then he had a tough decision it was either Dave Langevin who had just come on to be a great defenseman who ended up going to the Islanders and winning four cups or a kid named Bent Gustafson and he wanted Bent Gustafson and myself to play together and he felt like he could build that was the starting blocks to build a team like the Winnipeg Jets well unfortunately the rule, there was a rule that came down we didn't own Gustafson he ended up going to Washington, so we were the only team of the four that went into the next season with only one guy protected. The, all the other teams had two. So he knew from day one the vision that he wanted for his hockey club. Hmm. Uh, Wayne, uh, you you can relate to this, and probably one of the few people on earth who can. I'm curious, uh, as a sports fan, um, what, your, um, what your viewpoint is of Tom Brady after playing for the Patriots for – two decades now moving to a new team oh i'm probably as surprised as all you guys you <laughs> go wow um you know what uh, who, who knows listen uh, after 20 years and nine championship games and six championships 
you know, he's earned the right to become a free agent. It looks like he decided that he wanted to go to a different organization and try something new and unique. Um, it'll be different for him, but he is a leader and he's a hard worker, and I'm sure he's gone to a good organization. And, you know, Belichick is known to be one of the greatest coaches in all his sports. So hopefully it works out for both organizations. But it's something new for all of us as fans to watch, and it's exciting to see. And, I can't wait for uh, hopefully game one. Hopefully all this pandemic gets behind us and we can start moving on in life. Hey, Wayne, I got one last question for you. We're, we're rerunning classic hockey game. Mm-hmm. Fill the time. and uh, uh, Game six, 93, Kings-Leafs. You probably remember that game. It's, uh, and you probably know uh-huh. what I'm going to ask you. But what, was going, what yeah. was going through your head in overtime when Doug Gilmore's chin started to bleed? Oh, for sure, I thought I was going to get a penalty. Um, you know, it was one of those things at that time, the rule was, you know, even if it's accidental, uh, you're going to be penalized. Uh, I was probably as surprised as anyone that I wasn't penalized. But as years have gone by and time has gone on, I always tell people the same story. Uh, game one against Calgary in the Stanley Cup playoffs that year, we were playing against Calgary. And Joel Otto, on a face-off, as I turned, cross-checked me in the rib, broke my rib, and I played the whole playoffs uh, with a broken rib. I wore a flak jacket, and uh, every time uh, it was 7.30, the doctor would come in and put a needle in my leg, and I used to tease him. i say, make sure that freezing doesn't go south, or I'm not going to be able to skate. And he'd freeze my side, and I played the whole playoffs with uh, basically – numbing my uh, cracked rib uh, after the games uh, some nights it was excruciating pain um, and I always say listen I got crash checked and it could have been a five minute major I accidentally clipped a guy that's just part of sports and you know what we all have to deal with it and sometimes we don't like the outcome Wayne listen this has been a uh, real pleasure for us and for our listeners as well I'm sure thanks so much for your time we really do wish you know, you and yours, the very best during this time. And please uh, extend our uh, best wishes as well to uh, your father when you're talking to him. Well, thank you. And hopefully we put some smiles on people's faces today. And everybody be safe. And let's hopefully we can get all through this uh, with as uh, few problems as possible. You guys have a great day. It's the great one. Wayne Gretzky in conversation with the gang from Writer's Block, Jeff Blair, Stephen Brunt, Richard Deitch, uh, all having an opportunity to chat with Wayne Gretzky earlier today. That'll do it for our program. Pinder and Steinberg wrapping up. Up next, round two of this year's Battle of Alberta. Remember this one? Matthew Kachuk, Zach Cassian, all kinds of fireworks and an outstanding night at the Scotiabank Saddledome that is coming your way around the corner. Little Flames Rewind, Flames Oilers from January 11th for Ryan Pinder and Logan Gordon. My name is Pat Steinberg. It's been the Sports Drive at 5 and Pinder and Steinberg on Sportsnet 960, The Fan.